America for 300 years has been the land of promise for the rest of the world. The land of new frontiers, new opportunities. Yeah, we stand Tankrat. This is episode 123, where we discuss the Wisconsin recall election and Alan Turing and Bletchley Park. Spoiler alert, neither has a happy ending. <laughs> I am Sputnik. With me as always is Victor. Wah, wah. And of course, Tor. Hey there. But I first, we were going to talk about the Diamond Jubilee. Yeah, the Diamond <laughs> Jubilee was pretty awesome. Ooh. I don't know if you saw the coverage on uh, The Daily Show. No. But they had John Oliver on, and oh my God, he just rocked yeah. it. John Oliver did rock. He that. just because the English have the weirdest connection to the monarchy. Mm-hmm. It's such a love hate relationship. It's it's very hard to define. You know, and John Stewart said it best: is like where they're celebrating this old lady not dying. You know? yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah. really about what it came down to. And it's like, oh, whatever. Right. I just watched a few minutes of the coverage, and um, you, you know, the announcers and like Wally. Here comes the planes. The flyover. Uh, flyover. Oh, the flyover has been canceled. It is too foggy. <laughs> yeah. No, but, the, you know, the, but the announcers, there's all these planes coming, and one of them was a Lancaster bomber. And, oh! But, of course, the announcer had no idea what it was. Yeah. So, gee, thanks Some for being educated. Yeah. Dink. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and then, and then, like, the regatta. I mean, you know, here we have, like, the tall ships and everything, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. But there, there's regatta. It's like any crap scow could just go out there. And, you know? <laughs> hey, you got a boat? Yeah. Let's go out there. Yeah, let's go boat. out there. See the queen. I always remember at her, uh, at her Silver Jubilee, um, that's when uh, the Sex Pistols rode in a boat right alongside right. her, her <laughs> you know, big old queenly raft and uh-huh. started blasting god save the queen which i thought was awesome i mean frankly i would yeah. have been more than willing um you know had i more time to ramp up to you know fly over and drop trowel but <laughs> show my respect but yeah you know they don't have the concord anymore and, and i always really regret that because that is one thing i always wanted to do was flying the concord from new york to to heathrow mm-hmm. and and then they opened dom perignon when they, you know, break another mock. So oh, they yeah. have this little indicator and it's like, Mach one, you know, and then, you know, you know champagne for wow. everyone, Mach two, Poosh! you know, it's like, awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. If you've ever flown across to Europe on a regular plane, yeah. it can be a long, it's like spam the long, can, I mean. The troop affair. carriers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sit down and shut up. No, you're not getting any fucking cookie. Oh. Yeah, I, re- I read that on the Concorde, the window actually gets warm. Because of the friction of the atmosphere oh, flying how cool by, is that? yeah. I bet you there's no goddamn crying babies on on the Concord. <laughs> Did you hear about that baby they that can't afford uh, the threw a fit over the iPad? Yeah, because the parents took away the iPad minutes before they had to board, and the kid just that was the end of it. And then, <laughs> yeah, uh, they got kicked off the plane. Awesome. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Only wished it would happen more. Parent fail. Yeah. Oh well, that happens a lot, you know. And sure, just, sure. You know, I mean, you, you you're sitting on a plane and you're waiting 
to, to you know to get your flight and this harried family comes in the kids are screaming and mm-hmm. just going ape and you think oh please dear god please dear god please dear god and then you get on and sure as shit you're right in front of them yeah. you know <laughs> So you got to listen to that for God knows how many hours. In my you're the day, I remember like my dad would say stuff like, you know, things like, "I put you in this world, I'll take you out." Oh so yeah, no, it's you, kidding. You fell in line. What you know? whatever came out to do, like go play with the other kids. Right. The adults are going to have their time. Sit down and shut up. Yeah. You yeah. know what? Whatever happened to that? You riding your tricycle in the house? How do you like riding it when I throw it down the stairs? <laughs> <laughs> it's like God. Live and learn. Yeah, live and learn. <laughs> Here's the boundaries, kids. Yeah, Don't cross the boundaries. Them. Yeah. yeah, probably the most annoying thing I've had on a plane is when some woman decides it's time to put on nail polish. Oh, so you're in that, that contained small room, and yeah. that fumes are just super strong. It's that's like, true gee, too. thanks. Yeah, that's awesome. Or either yeah. that, or, or um, do you ever see you know one of those awful Fantastic Four movies? You know, like I think it's the one with Roger the Silver Corman? Surfer. <laughs> Not Roger uh, Corman. That was the good one. Fantastic. I'm talking about with, you know, I own Goodford, mm-hmm. you know, as, as Mr. Fantastic. And, and I think it was a Silver Surfer. Anyways, there's this one where the thing has got the middle seat on a commercial plane. And I think, oh, my God, I, I have, I've lived this. You know, when it gets like Frank the Tank comes in and plops his sorry ass right in the middle. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, really, take the fucking window. Take the aisle. Do whatever. But, yeah. you know, do not sit in the middle. Yeah. Anyways, so um, I watched. I, I got suckered in to the Hatfields and McCoys. Okay. <laughs> so I watched all three painful nights of that. I watched like ten minutes of that and thought it was such tripe that I turned it off. It was tripe and horrible. And, and you know what? I should. I never figured... got past the previews. Okay. And and you guys. <laughs> see, first off, I thought, okay, Bill Paxton, awesome. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. It's, it's all going to be pretty to good. See him. Mm-hmm. And I've done some reading on on the feud and so forth, and. You know, so much of it is sort of like, uh, you know, newspaper reports at the time, which was like, you know, more or less oral history and people making shit up. And yeah. there's like not really a clear picture anyway. There was a lot of people making shit up in that. And I kept thinking <laughs> at the first night was like watching paint dry. Seriously, it was just painful. And and see, this is the thing. I get suckered into Kevin Costner movies and <laughs> I hate Kevin Costner. Oh, but you got to watch Waterworld. I think I everyone watched, should watch that. I watched that. Waterworld. I, I lost four hours of my life. I'll never get back watching The oh, Postman. Yeah, yeah. You know, that movie, I just, I wanted to just claw my eyes out when I was done with it. There was just nothing. I'm The Postman. And sure as shit, at the end of the credits, I, you know, and, and my my wife turns to me and says, what in the hell are they going to do for two more nights? Mm-hmm. And then in the credits, you see executive producer Kevin Costner. I'm thinking, oh, no. that makes total sense. <laughs> Don't edit a thing. It's all genius. Yeah, everything's genius. <laughs> so anyways, That's the Tank Riot ethic. You know, we just yeah. keep everything. Just, just, yeah. <laughs> Don't edit it down. Martin Scorsese. No, it's all brilliant. So... Can I get a rat climb behind you on the <laughs> rail? Because that really will put the point home. Let's zoom in on that. There's subtext there. <laughs> you just got a mind for it. So, if only you're smart enough to catch it. Yeah, that's right. You know what he forgot was the little balloon, caption balloon above it explaining what it meant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. This rat symbolizes the failures of the police system. Yeah. <laughs> A friend of mine showed me a DVD. He had a special DVD of The Da Vinci Code, which I thought was like a horrible book and even worse movie. But for all of you who are like too simple to follow the clues, they actually have um, a special feature where it highlights. Like pop-up video? Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's like, okay, this is the, um, you know, it's like, oh, please. Really? Kind of like a small children's cartoon, like Dora the Explorer or something where like 
Yeah. Ding. Where's the map? Really Where's slowly. the map? Yeah. Where's the map? <laughs> Fuck, right. I don't know where the goddamn map is. <laughs> so, <laughs> but in any case, so so I watched the show and it was so unrelentingly down and gloomy and it was just horrible. First of all, this feud was like really slow. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, okay, now let's jump another 10 or 15 years. I'm like, well, you live right next to one another. I mean, it couldn't have been much of a feud if this just kind of percolated for... Yeah, I tuned in during this horrible brawl that went horribly awry, and I didn't know I didn't know how stupid it was. It but was it, you know, it was basically three bad. nights of watching inbred white trash right. duke it out. And I'm thinking, you know, who's the winner? We're all the winner. <laughs> But when how, they kill each other. I think he did that all, like, they're all drinking out of their moonshine bottles. Oh, yeah. It's like an episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Get her. Yeah. Get him. Nerdy dear. <laughs> so, and then in the end, so the end of it is, so, so, so they have this huge battle, the Battle of Grapevine, in 1888. Flash forward to 1940. So, so, okay, the whole feud ends with, hey, here's an idea. Let's hang the retard, and then let's just forget about the whole thing. So, oh, the, so, so they hung Cotton Top Hatfield, who was weak in the mind. And so then, so they hang him, and then, and then everyone just calms down. Flash ahead to 1914, and there's uh, uh, Bill Paxton as Randall McCoy, and he's just living in this little dirt shack all by himself, all boozed up, and. And uh, he's burning all the all the things, you know, all the clippings and pictures and everything from from the feud and then uh, ends up setting himself and the whole cabin on fire. Nice. It was like, wow. Um, <laughs> the end. Talk about the... inglorious bastard. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Wow. OK, whatever. I just saw Paxton in uh, Haywire. Mm. That wasn't entertaining, but I have nothing to say about it. Movie, no, but. no. There were a lot of a lot of cool actors showed up out of the blue. I didn't expect to see a bunch of name actors in it, so yeah. that was that was entertaining anyway. And another thing, no more emails from angry Mormons. That's it. Emails from angry Mormons. We had we had emails from Mormons. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, we did. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna email back and forth a little bit because I'm. That's awesome. I'm. Well, you made me actually look a lot more intellectual than I was because I was really just being bigoted. <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, I think what I said, and we're not going to officially get to mailbag, but I think what I was trying to convey, I, I can't remember his name, was that I don't run into a lot of Mormons here. No. I don't speak to a lot of Mormons here. No, but you and know, I'm fascinated that we have Mormon listeners, and it's cool that, that we can I've read the disagree. Book of Mormon. I have met Mormons. I've talked to Mormons. There are no gods, no masters, no prophets. Get over it. <laughs> there was no Jesus. There was no Joseph Smith. All that's crap. So just move on. Well, that's your opinion. Oh. <laughs> well, hey, I think it's great if this guy wants to keep listening to the show, though. Because well, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's all about expanding you know, your knowledge base. Oh, fuck and, it. I and, just don't like Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> I think Tor, right. I agree with Tor Sputnik. All right. Here, here's what we're going to do. If you're a, I'm kidding. If you're a Mormon <laughs> and you want to uh, email the show at uh, feedback at tankriot.com, uh, in the subject line, just put not safe for Sputnik. <laughs> and then Tor and Vic, uh, Unless you're Victor a and I Mormon, will, Then just move uh, to the goddamn Middle East where that shit flies. <laughs> you know? 
I mean, can't you, you know, yeah. they'll be pointing toward Mecca. You'll be pointing toward Salt Lake City. It'll all work out. But I agree. Some people are raised yeah. in, in different religions. Like I was raised Lutheran. And part of it is yeah, as I too. slowly yeah. understood Lutheranism, I slowly realized, what, what, what? This is not for me. And it took me a while to get around that corner to figure that out. Some people, it takes, you know, 30, 40 years sometimes before they actually can get out from under something or wrap their head around it and either yeah. just accept it completely and deny reality or start well, accepting reality. And someone like this person was listening to our show, which is very non-Mormon. It's a very different right. show. And we're very outspoken about our beliefs, political. You know, this is a show about life. And we talk about our opinions on everything. And right. part of what I get so annoyed with with most, most podcasts is they go, that's politics. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just technology. And they yeah. only talk about technology. Well, you yeah. know what? Technology is fueled by politics as well. And you know what? Your outlook on life is fueled by religion as well. And you know what? It's all connected. Yeah. So I don't yeah. feel like we should have any sacred cows, ha, 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 where, yeah. where we can't talk about things or be pissed off about things well, or vent our annoyance with things or our love of religion. Like if I was a really religious person, I'd probably be talking about it. Yeah. But I'm not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and uh, actually, I think a dialogue with some Mormons would probably be good because maybe it would help us understand how we can, you know, pull the Mormons back from the dark side. Or, yeah. Hey, we should offer deprogramming uh, services. Well, and, and yeah. this, this emailer, and I'm, I wish I had the email up, but this no, emailer. I was just kidding. I know, but just let's cut all this, this out. This email did talk about how some Mormons are douchebags like Mitt Romney. So I would point that out. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. a supporter of Mitt Romney. Well, right. Just, you know. We're not cutting anything out. This podcast will not be edited because we're going to get this out as soon as possible because there was a recall election in the state of Wisconsin and things went wonderfully for us, Wisconsinites, and we just want to get our voices heard right away. Yeah. So the wrap up is after a year and a half of uh, protest and bumper stickers and T-shirts and... Uh, yard signs, phone and, banking, and door to door canvassing, and door to door canvassing. Yeah. All that. it came to absolutely nothing. So uh, almost nothing. Almost nothing. Well, largely nothing. I mean, let's be honest. I we mean, won you... apparently one Senate seat, which I think is a giant. And win. they're going to have the Senate races in November. How much do you think you're going to get pushed through in that period of time? Oh no, no nothing's going to happen because they don't reconvene no, no. until January. So it's it's nothing. It, it was yeah, yeah it's more of a, a stopgap I mean, to keep the Republicans from passing a right to work law. That's all. And for for our out of country listeners, when I use the word blue, it generally represents Democratic or progressive voters. Red meaning conservative, right wing voters. Uh, not that I really consider the Democratic Party to be a true representative of the left in any way, shape, or form. And I think their performance or lack of performance. In supporting this recall election is a very good example of that. And I will begin with our esteemed President Barack Hussein Obama, who threw in a whole supportive tweet. Was that 140 characters? Yeah. It, probably, it was probably only 80 characters. This guy, yeah. I, I and I'm, I know I've been on record in podcast on the mm-hmm. on the podcast and saying this. I have never thought Obama was going to make any kind of real change. I I am surprised at how little change he has made in four years. I am very disappointed at the fact that both the state and national Democratic parties not only didn't support it, but it completely betrayed the fact that... And and let let me first of all say that the the whole, you know, candidate Tom Barrett was a disgrace to begin with. 
Tom Barrett and Scott Walker are both just corrupt Milwaukee trash. Mm -hmm. They're meat puppets for other interests. Tom Barrett thought that this was just to be a really good, low-cost way that he could get a do-over and say, oh, no, people really want me. No, no, they really, really want me. No, they really don't want you. Mm -hmm. You didn't represent labor. You would have come in with a Republican legislature. You wouldn't have changed dick. Well, he also didn't come out with any real plan, I would say. And this is the same thing that I've heard from other people, that he didn't have a plan. And I would say in Wisconsin, the recall election is seen, for for those of us who actually care and those of us who are really affected by Scott Walker, Governor Asshat, uh, he -hmm. took away thousands of dollars from working people and basically has just given it to corporate breaks. You know, the, yeah. so this money's been squandered. The, anyone who says the states are broke, we're broke. We gotta, yeah. we gotta cost cutting measures. Blah blah blah. That's all bullshit. You've been fed that by Roger Ailes and Fox yeah. News. And if mm-hmm. you believe that union thuggery <sighs> bullshit, you are deceiving yourself. And it's really, really frustrating. I, I don't even have patience. I've been on Facebook and Twitter just yelling at people <laughs> for the last couple, well, you know, days. But anyway. My point was people don't think that Tom Barrett really had a plan. So a recall election is seen as disruptive to democracy. Most Wisconsinites don't see the recall as part of democracy. They see it as disruptive to democracy and not really democratic. That's right. They're wrong. They're wrong. It is. And even The Daily Show got this wrong. And their coverage last night infuriated me. Mm -hmm. That Wyatt Cenac bit where he was talking about, oh, you disagree with him? Did you break the law? Oh, well, why are you doing this then? Yeah, wow. Bullshit. And and I'm furious with The Daily Show about that. I thought that was horrible and shitty coverage because yeah. the point is Scott Walker <clears throat> lied in the campaign about what he was for and yeah. what he was going to do. And then when, once he was elected, he did a different thing. He did different, 180% different from what he was really saying. He was going to work across the aisle with other people, bring things together and create jobs. And then he came in and he attacked the working class. Right. That's bullshit. And these austerity measures well, are wrong. But that's the thing is that if you look at the breakdown of the voting in the state, Wisconsin has traditionally been considered a pretty solid blue state. This is now is completely almost red. Right. There's, there's, I mean, this is a red Republican state now. Yes. In in the period of time that Scott Walker has been in and the device, the divide and conquer tactics that he has used. And I don't want to hear any belly aching or whining about thirty million dollars and we only had three million dollars. Well, guess what? They came to fucking play. The Koch brothers have been here since before he got elected. They're still here now contributing heavily. The state Republican and the National Republican parties supported Scott Walker. They got the message out there and they got what they but wanted. Let me Not point just out. Scott Walker being reinstated, but the fact that the whole state is now a Republican state. So let me point out that that, that represents this election, but I do believe the 10 to 1 spending... Um, Barrett spent three point something million and Walker spent in his own campaign around 30 million. Plus, there's at least another 15 to 20 million right. that was in donations for these but PAC groups that are not the Republicans responsive. came to play. They came right. to win. Right. So it right. doesn't matter how much money the, Democrats... the, the money is just one aspect or symptom of, of the fact that they had their game together. Right. Whereas the Democrats didn't. They didn't fall in behind Barrett. Obama 
more or less just betrayed the state. And yeah, and, and, and right. as far as I'm concerned, it's like I and it's the, honestly uh, I see no point in voting anymore. I truly and honestly don't. I feel like one of those chickens that you train to peck at a bar for a food pellet. It's fucking pointless. Yeah, I I'm really upset with Obama, and and I gotta well, tell you, I, it's the the Democratic National Committee as well. Like, was it Debbie Wasserman Schultz or something like that? Yeah. Who, who just you know wouldn't. She, all she wants to do is support like the blue dog Democrats or something, and, right. and it's not well doing anything. A lot to of real, our help the real movements. A lot of our listeners could tell us that guys, you got to think about the long game. And oh, and fuck the long Barack game. Barack Obama. Needs we lost to think, the short game. We lost the long game. <laughs> oh, Barack needs to think about November. And this was the long game. This was the long game. This is going to directly impact right. this national election. Right. What they showed in Wisconsin is that you can take away. Collective bargaining rights. You can do all of these things. Do it in the plain public view and get and away with it. People cheer. Not only that, they would cheer you on. You yeah. can get every toothless, ignorant hillbilly above the pine curtain. You know, I got to tell you, I've always had a love hate relationship <laughs> with below. this fucking state to begin with. Yeah, and I cannot stand the goddamn weather, and I cannot stand the fact that nine times out of ten, the only conversation you can have with most people is about the fucking Packers or the Brewers or or the weather or whatever. But now this, I mean, honestly, what is the point? <laughs> I really don't see the point. I like fucking deserts. So I'm thinking maybe that's where I should be. I think oh. Arizona's got some uh, Republican. Yeah, going on there. Well, that's right. They got the deserts too. They got the deserts. So Canada's shutting its borders down. So I guess I'm just fucked. You know, I'll be like one of those sad assholes on House Hunters International. It's like, yes, yeah, so I'm an expat. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, we lost this in what's called a landslide, and seven uh, percent I think is the spread that Walker won it by. And, you know, seriously, they had so much money in the signage and in just getting a professional message out there through the media, through the yeah. television and through the radio waves. You heard nothing from Barrett, really. I mean, it was really a pathetic um, I mean, attack with, on the airwaves. With a fraction of the money, yes, there simply wasn't as many ads. And, uh, you know, people in their TVs... Uh, well, if that's all it takes, then I think that says something that's, right there. That's, you it's know? pretty sad. Right. Well, pretty let's sad. just move forward. Let's just move forward. Well, okay, that is, that's it. That's well, what it yeah, takes. Yeah, Sputnik, yeah. if you think about it, that is what it takes because he came out with a fake jobs numbers and then he ran ads saying, hey, it's working. Look at yeah. these no well, job look, numbers. These are real job numbers. But yeah, yeah look, look, my that, plan is working. He, he lied. He said they were he final job lied. numbers. They were pl preliminary. They were possibly fake. made up yeah, but, job numbers. But this yeah. is the genius of the new right, though. You yeah. look at you look at all these counties here that are in deep, deep red. Mm -hmm. Now you got to think that this is just a bunch of assholes living on relief in their trailer park. You know, and they're I've their been double on wives. food stamps, and nobody's but, helped me. But they're supporting. <laughs> but they're supporting the very people that are going to cut their throat. Absolutely. It's like you got yeah. all these old farts in these red states that say, "Hey, we got a government. I don't want to do Medicare or social." Social Security and everything—it's like, oh, you mean the Social Security that pay or the Medicare that paid for that um, Walker that you're mm. you're you're using to get a, your fat ass around in, or your your yeah. go chair, or whatever? Yeah, you can you can convince these people you, they'll get you can get them to cheer you on while they cut their damn throats. Right. That that is brilliance to me. But in a way, mm. this episode of our show is a bit of a 
a news flash to the United States, I think, to all our listeners in other states, mm-hmm. this is going to happen to you. Uh, Grover yeah. Norquist has already Twittered that there are 23 other governors in similar situations that now know they can go ahead and do these same union attacks, which will destroy the Democratic support because – very, you know, there's very little organized support for Democrats because the corporations really are very happy with the Republicans. So a lot of the money yeah. goes to Republicans unless it's a special interest corporation that's going to be supported by Democrats for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, no a matter lot of the how money hard would... you whore, you're not going to whore as good as they do. Right, 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 yeah. right. So so mm-hmm. the Republicans are going to be really well funded. And if these other states manage to push through these same, I'm going to use the term austerity because I see these as austerity measures. And if, if they push these through, then you're going to you're going to live through exactly what we went through. Mm-hmm. Your public employees yeah. are going to be destroyed and villainized. And it's going to take your gonna divided. Your state's going to be yeah. divided. It's going to take your economy down. You know, I think we're Mississippi now because yeah. we are dead last in job creation in, in the sure. state of Wisconsin. And then he goes on the air and lies and says, we're doing great. It's it's right. total dystopia. Well, we it's sure hilarious. shit are moving ahead in education. I can guarantee you well, that. Well, no, and, and that's yeah. the thing. You know, nurses – and I, I was just arguing with these goddamned idiots about these – these unions are causing it all, and all mm. these nurses have and teachers. Have you ever belonged to a union? Have you their, ever been a union steward? Well, yeah. Have you ever participated in a union? They've got mansions and boats, uh. and they're sending their kids to Ivy League colleges. You know what? Fuck you. They're not living in mansions. They don't have boats. They're not sending their kids to uh. Ivy League colleges. And you know what? They should. They yeah. should. A nurse should be able to do that. A teacher should be able to do that. We all should be able to do that. That's right. You know, but that we was, can't because we, can't because we have a class culture. There's that's no against more moving free forward in America. Lunch. Yeah, we <laughs> sorry. Just, I'm just yeah. I'm a little. I know. Angry. Well, no, the whole thing is, is <laughs> it's ridiculous. But the point is, and so I was reading this article recently about the Occupy movement, how that's divided. Because you know, if there's any left leaning organization, you're going to have like five or six different voices. So they have yeah. these new anarchists out there, and you know, we we did a podcast on uh, Emma Goldman, and these people just make me sad. They are so. They just talk and they talk and they talk. It's it's like any progressive meeting that you've ever been to. Everybody stands up, has their little moment in the sun. They get cheered or booed. And then three hours later, you feel totally helpless and powerless walking out. That's the experience you will have on the American yeah. left. What was the yeah. Emma Goldman quote? If voting mattered, they'd make it illegal. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so you got one half of the Occupy movement that's just going to sit there and have this little horizontal, you know, collective being democratic to the point of okay there's just nothing yeah it's and i've been watching that, portlandia and and i oh, you know madison is a lot like portland i, know. I think it t- i had to i had to inoculate myself watching portlandia because <laughs> oh there were so many things in madison that i saw about that that i just said oh. oh fucking turn this off but i laughed so hard yeah but after a while that is awesome yeah, they nail it they nail i love it. The, i love the the women the women's <laughs> bookstore Yo, yeah. when they do those skits i just piss myself laughing they're just great i think it's one of the best shows on television and you know carrie brownstein is one of the greatest you know guitar oh. players yeah yeah. From, you know, Slater Kinney. So and, and Fred Armisen's wonderful, too. Anyway, so, anyway, fantastic. But, anyways, but what went down yesterday was really weird because they called this election so early. Did you guys notice that? I oh, barely yeah. turned on the TV. It's like, what? What? They're calling it at 20 percent of the votes in. Well, it wasn't just Walker, yeah. though, that survived. I mean, Walker survived a recall election and a lot of people, a lot of states have been able to successfully throw their assholes out. Apparently, we can't now. And, you know, and the, I yeah. guess this is what it comes down to for me is that, yes, this will have a direct impact on the national election. 
because essentially you have the same choice, which is no choice. Meanwhile, your kids can't go to get a decent education. You can barely scrape by. Healthcare is a joke. I mean, I guess I guess it's true of all people, but I think it's especially true of Americans that it's got to get so goddamn bad well, before people actually do something okay. about it. And when I say do something about it, I I'm to the point now where I just want to see when I see people carrying their little signs, I just want to <laughs> kick them in the fucking nuts because I've seen this my whole life. Right. They don't care about you and your stupid little goddamn sign. Mm-hmm. They don't care. They don't care how many times you email your senator or your house rep. They don't give a shit about any of that because you got no money to back it up. They care. It was like George Bush. You could be a pioneer or a ranger. Uh, given on how much money, and we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. you contributed to them. That's what they. That's what it means to them. They don't care. Oh. I mean, you talk about welfare mothers. What about General Motors? I mean, they ought to be kissing Obama's half black ass. You know, well, just for the fact that they bailed them out. It's socialism bailing yeah. those guys out. <laughs> I mean, corporate socialism is a form of welfare that is actually criminal. Anyway. We did survive a re-election of George W. Bush. I mean, that douchebag was re-elected, and I think that was probably my lowest point in feeling of American culture because that was sad. But we were insulated here, and that's right. the thing. We were always insulated here because, let's face it, what time is it in Wisconsin? About 1893. Mm-hmm. You know, so, <laughs> hey, we fell asleep at the switch. When we woke up out of our Rip Van Winkle snooze, we found out the whole state went red. And they don't think, they don't talk, they don't debate, they don't carry signs. They just get really ugly and shout over you. But there's a movement. The tea, yep. We talked about the Tea Party movement for years now. And the fact that this movement has taken we, – we're all angry. We're all upset that the economy's not doing well. People are losing jobs, blah, blah, blah. But they've taken it and been able to monetize it and turn it into votes for Walker. It's amazing. It is amazing that they've taken the guy in charge of our state, the guy directly responsible see, for this, the, and turned it as a win for him. You know, in a certain sense, tank riot is no different than than the sign carriers or anything either. Our tiny little drum circle too is is kind of in the same boat. I mean, we can sit and bitch and rave and moan about it all we want, but in the end, we can't do dick to do anything that that it's going to alter this in any way, shape, or form. Nothing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing we can do now. Game over. It's done. What changes things is really big media. What changes things so, is guns. That's it. Well, Mao was right. It comes out of the barrel of a gun. If, if you carry a fucking sign, they will pay no attention to you. You carry a gun, they'll pay attention to you. That's it. Well, <clears throat> now, I, I, I liked what the when the Occupy uh, movement, you know, when they did the black blocking, you know, when they started breaking shit and they started causing riots, mm-hmm. that got some fucking attention. Well, you remember back in March when there was talk of a general strike mm-hmm. and everyone was like, no, 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 let's not do that. Let's not do that. Yeah, yeah. But that was stupid on their part because they don't understand that general strikes are illegal by their very nature, mm-hmm. which they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. But they, in fact, are, which shows you how absolutely castrated American labor is. Right, right. I, I yeah. was kind of shocked that the labor group was like, oh, no, that's too that's too much. You know yeah. what? It's not too much. Yeah. 2020 <laughs> no. hindsight. It's looking like general strike was the way to go. It should because yeah. in the early part of the protests, it was that the, there was this recall movement and yeah. this general strike movement, and uh, basically we all went with the recall movement. Yeah, and uh, but okay, twenty twenty hindsight, maybe we general well, strike and, and really slapped slapped well, yeah. them hard right away. If there was some way that you would have known that there was going to be no fucking support 
for the, yeah. the candidate. And, you know, the divisiveness of the Democratic Party, the fact that there were these primaries. Where I blame the Democratic Party completely fighting, for this national you know, and state. They are completely to blame for this. It's not how much mm-hmm. Walker, you know, got in his war chest. It is the fact that they could not get their shit together, that even though they knew momentum was gaining on a recall election that they were going to get easily the number of votes they needed, they had nobody to run. Well, they yeah. weren't they weren't even grooming anybody. And the fallback guy yeah. was this idiot from Milwaukee that we ended yeah. up voting for. And it was. This is, it was completely unsupported and and really badly run and yeah. and yeah I just it's completely I mean I can't vote for Romney but I can't in good conscience vote for Obama I, I mean, gotta, the, the, to be honest with you I'm just <laughs> done with it it's just I have been voting for decades now as soon I mean I've been one of these people I have voted in every damn election state local regional national and that's why uh, Wisconsin is in play for Romney and that's why the what the DNC not supporting us. Is going to cost them dearly. They just lost dearly. Wisconsin. They lost Wisconsin. Plus, you can't tweet about the the recall election, and that's your only support. That's Fuck right. Fuck you. And I was furious with Obama about that. Furious. The guy yeah. was campaigning in mini fucking Annapolis and didn't come by Wisconsin to say I'm supporting. You know, Bill Clinton came here. Yeah, Bill Clinton came here. Milwaukee. You know, I didn't yeah. vote for his sorry Southern fried ass either, but I like him. He's he's one of the ex presidents I'd like to hang out with. Oh, I'd like to hang out with him. I mean, God knows. Talk love about the to guy you'd like to have a beer with. Well, Probably yeah, Bill. be his wingman and look for pussy. But, you know. The, hey, it's a job someone's got to do. Someone's got to do. But, I mean, that's a fact. It's, 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 it's like I've always said that the Democratic Party is, is you know, it's, it's just another phase of the, you know, the same meat puppets right, working it should be for the red ruling class. It should be red and pink, not but, red and blue. Yeah. But, I mean, these guys just, they, they can't out the Republicans. That's the only thing that they can't. But they're just... They're not organized and they're ridiculous. And Barack Obama is a ridiculous excuse for a president. Not for all the reasons Fox News says. Mm-hmm. Not for all the reasons they oh, he's, 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 he's that and another thing. No. It's the fact that he has taken those four years and he has done nothing to reverse all the damage done in the Bush years. In fact, he's enhanced it. We've got more drone attacks mm-hmm. now. We've got all this shit going on. This man is a sorry fucking excuse. I don't care what color he is, I don't care what color his daddy was. The fact of the matter is, he's not an innovation. He's just another goddamn mouthpiece. Period. And I can agree with you on some of that. And I am very disappointed in him. And some of these things come from the Congress. And some of these things come from, the, you know, his inability to change things that are just not in his control. He doesn't know, he doesn't know how to change <clears throat> them. Mm-hmm. He would rather sit there and try he's to failed build to the... use the bully pulpit is what has happened. Well, yeah. Here's the thing. In most of these progressive agendas of presidents, and I'm playing devil's advocate, but I don't mean to be, most of that happens in their second term. And this is where people say, well, once they're elected the second time, then they give up on the fact that there's things to lose. But if you had some momentum in the first one, I would say, yes, okay, Mm -hmm. by all means, continue on. He's done nothing. We still have the Patriot Act. We have Gitmo. We're still killing... I don't know, people I've never fucking heard of and the say, NDAA. oh, that's the number two man in Al-Qaeda. And it's like, if you say so, the you NDAA might just... was passed. Yeah. You might have just scragged somebody at a wedding party from a drone attack and said he was number two in Al-Qaeda. Aren't there drones in America now? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> droney. Yeah, our new huh. pal droney. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Hmm. What's that? What's that light oh, outside? I did think you, it's did, droney. <laughs> did you hear about the, the Hubble, the two new free Hubble scopes NASA got? No. Well, I mean, the sad, pathetic thing is, is that, of course, there's no space shuttle to take them up in. But uh, we got two new free Hubble scopes from oh, yeah. the uh, spy agency that's responsible for they were going to use the Hubble scopes to look at Earth. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, but then they decided, now nah, we got some other tech for that. So do you we guys got want better these? ones now? <laughs> wow. Oh, we got nothing to put them up in. So they're newer, better Hubbles. Well, they we might have nothing. might have to wait for the Falcon Heavy. It's like national. Fuck, I, I don't remember what three letter acronym. I can't even keep track of these assholes anymore. But they're just all spying on whatever. Mm-hmm. So they were going to use the Hubble to peer into I don't know whatever. It's like, hey, yeah, I'll give you an address and some coordinates, and I'll I'll show you something. Take a picture of that. Use a wide angle <laughs> lens, motherfucker. Hey, well, I happen to have the TV on. When Scott Walker came on with his acceptance speech. Oh, I turned it off by Forward. Then. <laughs> Forward tour. No, 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 no. The very first thing he did in his speech was he thanked God. Yay, Jesus. Which was... Well, God it, chooses it, him, you know. Yeah, and it was, was just talking to God so, the other day. It was so disgusting to me because here he, you know, outspent his opponent seven to one, ten to one, uh, you know, buying ads, lying on ads, uh, lying about numbers, and uh, and then he he tries to he he didn't say directly a pot a God appointed governor, but he was trying to. Uh, Make it seem like he was anointed by God, like he's the second well, coming course. or something. Of course, and they all it's have just God disgusting. on their shoulder. Oh yeah, he's and, the second uh, coming of Fred Flintstone. I mean, they always say never talk yeah. about money, politics, or religion. Money determines the politics. Money determines the religion. Yeah. It's all class. It has nothing else to do with it. Right. So if you have enough money, your religion is this. So I, I, or, I or, think yeah. it's throwing a bone to his, uh, you know, the religious right that supported him, that somehow thought that this, you know, Republican austerity and divide and conquer is somehow well, of course. a Christian ethic. He, you fa- know? he fucking yeah. hates women. He he- hates health care. He loves the corporations, of Who course. Who Jesus screw over? Yeah, he, yeah Jesus yeah. hated all those things, yeah. too. Poor people, <laughs> fuck them. I mean, if you remember your Sermon on the Mount... Your poverty disgusts me. Get a job. Get a job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Loser. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah uh, I don't think we have anything more to say about this. No, fuck it. You've heard our opinions. Yeah. Well, I, I would like to summarize. Just want to clarify uh, some of the the myths going around about the unions. Uh, there's some guy walking around the state trying to ask people, well, do you think you should be forced to join a union and all this other crap? Uh, Who the fuck? Uh, Anyway, it's just one of the <laughs> some right wing, uh, you know, guy that I happen to see his videos. Just another dumbass. But um, <laughs> anyway, here's the myths about the union. If you get a job with a company that's you know a union shop, uh, at, at least in Wisconsin, uh, in, in my situation with the pu- public sector unions, you're not forced to join the union. And and this is before Walker even. Yeah. Um, uh, th- that is up to you to decide, but the union is has been established by uh, a majority vote of the employees to be the negotiating uh, entity to negotiate the contracts through collective bargaining with the state. So the union is providing a service to the employees in that collective bargaining unit, and therefore. There is a fee taken out of your paycheck to pay for that service, whether or not you join the union. Well, that's how it was before. Now, Walker took away the mandatory fee in order to defund the unions and try to get rid of them. But the, the fee was only for the administrative aspects of negotiating the contracts. Mm-hmm. Any um, political action that the union does, that's paid through voluntary donations. So... 
all these people that are, you know, mad at the unions because they're forcing the employees to play, pay money to uh, so the unions can be political. That's not really the case. They're only paying money for the unions to administer the contract. And all all political activity from the union is all from voluntary donations. So I just wanted to clarify that. Thank you for clarifying that. Right, because there's right. there's a lot of myths out there, and the Republicans are really pounding on that union hate. Mm-hmm. To, as that's part of their divide and conquer. But, but, but Tor, you know most people will look at a union, and they'll look at it one of two ways. You yeah. either have one group who has, you know— born with a silver spoon in their mouth they're going to be working for their daddy's firm or whatever so unions are for the little people right then you're going to have the votech dropout losers who are never going to have an opportunity to be in a job with a union so everything is just bitterness and hate toward basically the working class which is wants to join a union that's all you're red in the state right what they don't realize if they get together with everybody else and they're work site maybe they can form a new union but that hasn't happened for decades nobody is dumber than all of us that's that's what they <laughs> used to do you know back in the day that's yeah. how the union started yep. originally i believe well, it was I, with frederick engels who once said the masses are ass someone else was saying to me that well it's these union leaders that are making their millions if they just give up some of this union money then the state would have money and bullshit bullshit Okay, a union yeah. leader might make a little bit more money yeah. than a regular person, but you know, all right, let's say he makes ten million dollars. Okay, and then let's go to all the different corporations. He doesn't. That, I know. <laughs> let's just say this yeah. outrageous number uh-huh. of ten million. Let's say this guy has a mansion or two or three, and boats and goes to Ivy League colleges. All that bullshit I was talking about earlier. Well, what about these corporations and these corporate leaders who have their companies here, and they're making the same. If or more. not more. And yeah. they're not paying any fucking right. taxes because they've built the tax laws down sure. to make sure that they don't have to pay anything. So it's it's just unbelievable. And there's so many more of them. There's so many more corporations than there are unions. There's not a million there, – there's not even 50 unions really of any like size in no. Wisconsin. No. So no. there are more than 50 corporations in Wisconsin that have right. arms in Wisconsin that they can not pay taxes for in Wisconsin that – horrible bitch that scott walker was talking to about the divide and conquer strategy that you've mentioned uh she she hasn't paid any taxes no and and it's yeah. just unbelievable she she doesn't pay anything back to the god society. likes them better they are god is showing grace so, so, by uh, bestowing yeah. money they, and no taxes. They, they don't pitch in and they're busting public sector union workers and all union workers in she general. She gave half a million to Walker. They're they're cutting aid to families. They're cutting Badger Care, which is a form of Medicaid and medical support for low income people. They're cutting the the food stamps program. Everything is being cut, and these shitheads are not paying taxes. And it really pisses me off that they're like, if these union thugs would just drop all their richness and money and these teachers are making just an exorbitant amount of money, all the hijinks going on going into this election, we didn't even talk about that. The the fact that all these mailers were going out right. saying how much money people made and $70,000 a year, that's ridiculous. Yeah. They're just a teacher. You have to yeah. remember teachers usually have master's degrees. They have right. master's yeah. degrees and, and some of these teachers are near retirement. Some of these teachers are at a good yeah. pay level. You know, But that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. White collars. Good. The Votech dropouts. Yeah, that's that's who hates unions, yeah. not people who've actually been in the union, 
have been protected by a union. Hatred of the middle class is it's, it's like a sin. I mean, I can't believe that this kind of division. Ah, but, but that's the beauty of it, Victor, is that if you drop everybody from the middle class, then you can actually make them hate something they'll never become. Well, we're we're close. We're close to fascism. Like this is this is Fucking the kind Chinese of Chinese are closer to middle class than we right. are. But this is the kind of thing yeah. that turns into fascism. This is the kind of thing that the Nazis rose up out of. And this is the kind of direction where we can go into the progressives progressives are either going to start getting really hardcore and and violent, like we're talking well, about strikes and these kind of things, or they're going to fall in line and this bullshit is going to win. That is true. Nazism did spread through the lower middle classes right. and the industrial, the, yeah, the right. um, upper classes yeah. first, because we're, they saw an opportunity for control and and it worked profit and it worked. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, we got to have keep our eyes open because it's looking like you know Germany in the early 30s a bit. Yeah. All right. So it yeah. looks like we've lost this battle, but the rest of you states get ready for your own battles because you're there. No, <laughs> fuck it, you're it, gonna lose. It's your so. turn now. Okay, uh, let's talk about Alan Turing and his lighten work. The mood a little bit. And Bletchley Park. Well, not really lighten <laughs> the mood. This again is a story that does not have a happy ending, but it. I suppose it does in a certain way. But in any case, uh, Alan Turing is. Uh, this was actually uh, Victor's suggestion uh, based on our conspiracies number 10 where we uh, talked about the numbered stations and Alan Turing was and Bletchley Park were the people that broke the Enigma Code in the mm-hmm. Second World War. Not only that, but were pretty much the pioneers of computer science. Yeah. And they're, they're the great unsung heroes, and I think in both. Uh, because Bletchley Park and Alan Turing, who in many ways was a leader at Bletchley Park, the leader of Bletchley Park, the genius really behind all right. the work, uh, truly won the Second World mm-hmm. War in the West. And uh, the information that they were able to glean since they had broken or mostly broken this code very early on had much more to do with you know, victory in the West than than certainly I would say the Manhattan Project or D Day, which Absolutely. of course is the anniversary is today. Right. Well, and what's really interesting is um, he was born on June twenty third of nineteen twelve. So we're right. coming up on this is the centenary year of yes, uh, Alan Turing. So it's kind of cool because I thought, well, hey, this will be probably our podcast that's out right before the June twenty third rolls around. Hundred There's actually an event. Oh, yeah. at, there's an event at Bletchley Park where they're doing a, a big touring test thing, and we'll get to all that. Uh, sure. A little later on, but mm-hmm. it's just exciting, and I think a lot of our nerdier listeners have probably heard a lot about Alan Turing. Yes, in and the, last the Enigma year. Code, and the and... Enigma Code, because of the fact that it's a centenary year. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's really into computers, yeah, has yeah. heard of him, and uh, yeah, one, or one at least his name. To, <laughs> yeah, I think we're all into computers. But one thing I'm going to say is, right now, I'm not prepared to detail the history of computers. And why specifically he's seen as the no. father? He is the father, uh, well, well seen as the father of modern computers. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's the first guy to ever build a computer because that happened in the BCs back with abacuses right. and things like that. So uh, he just because of his, his I think it was thought, the, the digital computer, the digital computer, and right. his writing about memory and storage and the binary yeah. systems of and memory. being able to program right. something that you could you could actually because that was. One of the key factors mm-hmm. in consistently breaking the Enigma code right. was because you had so many choices and you had so many iterations based on those rotary wheels that, mm-hmm. that the Enigma machine used, 
you could actually figure that out if you had a computer. Right. Right. So he was kind of like, you know, Spock and always you know, thinking about it. Star Trek TOS, the, um, uh, you yeah. know, where he goes back to 19, 1930s Earth and, you know, he's building the, the little computer. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> E.T. phone home. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Yeah, but... um, I, I want, I wish, I wish well, it'll happen, but I'd love to see a movie about Alan Turing, like a, a biopic about touring with someone like Michael Fassbender playing him. Oh, you know? yeah. That'd be perfect, I think. It but. would be. I mean, because, like I say, he's one of these people that, you know, because of the um, secrecy acts in the UK and so forth, his his work mm-hmm. was not known about yeah. for decades. All the work that they did at Bletchley Park uh, wasn't known or publicized until the mid-70s. Right, which is, is sad because the, the, they were such a key factor. and, and we They should... won the war. Anyway, they so yeah. They truly won the war, yeah. So he was he was in born the West. in the West. Yeah. Yeah, in the Atlantic front. But I, I think I think that if they hadn't done what they did, the war would have lasted years longer. And that oh, might have been to be sure. That might have been a loss. You know, that mm-hmm. might have been enough for the Nazis to get a good foothold. Who knows? Well, I think I think the question always remains with the Second World War is that um you know, th- there was a period of time where the Nazis were unstoppable, but even when the tide was turning against them, if they could have negotiated a peace, and let's say you didn't have the Enigma Code information, then you there could be a Nazi state remaining. I mean, yeah. those those fascist states cropped up everywhere in Europe, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and in fact, you know, survived in Spain. You could have a somewhat enlarged Germany right in the middle of Europe, yeah. you know, still being Nazi. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, or so I mean, and like I say, the, the the fact that Spain was able to remain fascist, and there you you keep reading news stories now and again where, you know, they're putting in a gas line or something in in Spain, and and they're coming across yet another uh, Franco mass grave, and and you know they weren't just during the Second World War, mm. they were or the Spanish Civil War, they were, you know, years later. I mean, there was lots of ugly things going on. Spain has always been its, it's sort of odd little entity unto itself. Yeah. You don't hear much about it for some reason. <laughs> or Portugal. Yeah. You know, except back in the 1500s then, you know. But yeah. after that, not so much. Oh, mm-hmm. except for the um, uh, sightings of the Virgin. Oh, yeah. You know, and the, the prophecies. Yeah, very yeah. important. Yeah. No, very important. Mm-hmm. Fuck Magellan. Those <laughs> prophecies. <laughs> so, so, so he was born to Julius and Ethel uh, touring in uh, 1912. In England, and um, yes, he, his father was a British civil servant, so they spent a fair amount of time in his early childhood, kind of going back and forth between England and India, mm-hmm. which would have been British India at that time. Um, that period of time before they completely lost their goddamn empire, Diamond <laughs> Jubilee. That's uh, that's that's interesting though, because uh, India is actually known for uh, creating a lot of mathematicians too. That's uh, true. Yeah. That's very true. In fact, if you look at a picture of Alan Turing, I think that probably the perfect person to play him in a movie would be the guy who plays Sheldon in yeah. Big Bang <laughs> Jim Theory. Parsons. Yeah, yeah. He just, he just seems to, you know, he has that kind of vibe. You yeah. Know, God, I want to get to Broadway. I want to get to Broadway and see Parsons in the Harvey. Uh, yeah, that does sound very Broadway good. Broadway play. That sounds good. 
So as a student, this was he was another one of those classic Einstein characters. Where so you're he's just a failure. If he wants to succeed at this, he's got to stop being so focused on the math and doing more about other things. And- well, and that's that's <laughs> because British public education at that time was focused on the classics. Mm-hmm. Do you know your Homer? <laughs> yeah, you know, and and so the guy you know showed very early on that he had this. I mean, they always, you know, kind of underplay it and say he had a capacity for mathematics. It's like, no, the guy was a fucking genius. I mean, he could take things apart. He could actually do calculus and no one taught him how to do calculus. You know, I mean, he figured it out. The yeah. Fa- the favorite quote that's always uh, it's the headmaster quote that's always put about about him at this time. If he is to stay at public school, he must aim at becoming educated. If he's to be solely a scientific specialist, he's wasting his time at a public school. I say, <laughs> yes, we we totally agree. Idiots. I say, at least, specialist. At least yeah. your public school. That sounds terrible. I say with disdain. Ew, he's a scientific specialist. Ew. <laughs> yeah, remember that's early 20th century like like the world really needed scientists then. <laughs> it was you know, like the 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 century with the biggest push of science of you know up to that point. That's right. So another thing about about him is that I, you know the autism group. I don't know who these people are, but uh, yeah. they they tend to claim him as an Asperger's or autism spectrum mm-hmm. candidate, just like they did with Einstein. Right. I think they might be closer to the mark with Alan Turing. I think that this one has a little more weight behind it considering a lot of things about his i mean he was certainly eccentric but i mean considering like his physical appearance and a lot of things of his behavior and so forth i think yeah you're right there probably is a better um argument that he might have been a a sufferer of asperger syndrome right as opposed to Einstein, who was just kind of goofy. Disheveled and goofy. Yeah, he was just goofy. <laughs> and, and the quotes are much more unsubstantiated with Einstein about him uh, growing up and whatnot. And, right. And, and he spent so much of his adult life, I, I don't know, with Einstein, I don't, I don't believe it as much. But, no. Yeah, and he was also homosexual. And yes. this was widely buried and something that was something he was very careful about. Widely buried, but he, but certainly noted and records kept. Right. Because when he started working for the government, and when I say the government, I do mean the um, government code and cipher school. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at a, he, of course, established himself with a very brilliant mathematics career and had published many papers and so forth. But then he became very interested in cryptology and began working for the GCCS. And because and his, his homosexuality uh, was noted and recorded, I think, a great deal uh, during his time working with the government, but they did not act on it because he was so integral right. to uh, Bletchley Park and the breaking of the Enigma Code and, and the continuing. Yeah. Because when we say the Enigma Code... That's kind of like saying the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as the Ho Chi Minh Trail. It's a right. series of tunnels and little roads and paths, you know, through the jungle. And the Enigma Code, you know, was actually used by the Germans from the 20s on. Yeah. And it used a series of rotors. It was a very basic kind of electromechanical, you know, cipher machine. So you could turn these rotors, you could hit. Uh, a key, you know, for, for a letter, and then it would randomize, you know, based on how you turn those rotors, what the what the actual letter was that you're going the to radio use in the radio signal. Code. Yeah. Right? So yeah. yeah, I mean, 
Well, you know, before before we talk too much about the Enigma, I think I want to say that I want to say one other thing about him because a life changing event for him was meeting Christopher Morcom, mm-hmm. who was a student with him that he met in like nineteen twenty eight in that area, right. um, and he fell in love with this guy, mm-hmm. and then two years later he suddenly died. And he'd he'd suffered an illness. It took me a while to find it. Um, maybe you guys found it easier, but he died from bovine tuberculosis. Yes, very strange. Yeah, um, drinking tainted milk basically caused him to have a lifelong illness that eventually killed him at a very young age. That that why actually was not super uncommon back in those yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. He but got the, the grip the, that was actually <laughs> no, the grip. Different. No, no, it wasn't the grip. <laughs> no. But yeah, <laughs> no, they thought it was from milk from like years earlier. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, and, but it affected him throughout his life. That's scary. Yes. Sc- yeah. Very scary. But it, it this affected him profoundly, and he became very close with the parents and. Yeah. Um, I think this was one of these things that stuck with him and was very important to the fact that it drove him, I think, more into the I'm going to figure out what happens with consciousness and with the mind. Because mm-hmm. the fact that this young, healthy, you know, except for this illness, kid just died out of the blue right. and disappeared on him. He kept wondering, well, what happened to his mind? What happened to his brain? What happened to his thinking process? Where did he go? And and I think he wrestled with that. and. Um, for a long, long time, and and then he he went into the more studies of mathematics and things like that, and ended up working at the cipher school and and trying right. to work on the enigma, all that other stuff. But and we can I don't know. No, that's a very good point in in bringing up because uh, you know he was definitely one of these people that I think he had a very restless mind. I mean he he definitely was a mathematical genius, but I think you know cryptography became kind of an interest or a hobby almost and and it was the perfect timing because of course you know the clouds of war were gathering mm-hmm. and this was the 30s and and uh certainly there was room to uh you know start working on on this german code and of course that first started with trying to figure out how the machine is wired right but i think what really obviously there were some cheats along the way which i think really really helped out or bombs. Bombs <laughs> along the way. The Polish had developed a rudiment. They'd, they'd gotten a hold of a... No, right there. It's a lead into a great joke. <laughs> they had the bomb uh, cryptographique or whatever. Didn't they have like the parts uh-huh. to an Enigma machine, a machine or something? But they didn't, they didn't understand how it was wired? Well, they had it roughly figured out, but not enough. They had, yeah. they had enough parts that when you put it in the hands of the people at Bletchley Park, they right. went to town on this. And then in very short order, it didn't take them very long on this part to decrypt and figure out how this would work and how the Enigma machine. It gave right. them that, I don't know, extra head start, I guess, to, right. to allow them to create the bomb, which is the giant contraption. To, uh, right. to tear apart. So the Enigma machine the is... The Turing this, machine. The Turing machine. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what's kind of funny? Well, man, there's so much to say. Well, well why, <laughs> why don't we start with the Enigma machine? Because okay, okay. I, I think people are going to... I mean, because this is, I think, really what he's... Know, or what was kind of initially got him into yep. computer science and okay. cryptography and so forth. So the Enigma machine is, if, if you see a picture of one, or if you just Google it, 
you'll see this the typewriter from hell it is kind of basically a typewriter from hell so you have uh, like a number of rotors and you turn those based on a certain you know code so originally it was three rotors and then the navy started using these four rotors well actually uh other branches of the service used a number of other rotors Mm -hmm. as well well they were interchangeable you could take them off and put on. you could take them off or but you could add on too for more complicated ones so so the luftwaffe had his it had its own enigma code and enigma machines but the navy had probably the most difficult ones so yes now is that this is this that device they bought from a mail order from ron popiel yes (laughs) (laughs) you can use three wheels you can use four wheels you can use two wheels but we don't recommend an extra couple wheels because we can't do this all day it slices and dices it makes julian fry 29.95 three easy payments Oh God! Oh. Sorry, I just yeah. Went, we get yeah. bombarded by these, and, and like I say, I'm a total whore, and I bought way too many of those as seen on TV. So I, I will not point fingers. But so uh, one of the big breakthroughs was is the Luftwaffe had um, so so you 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 had a basic machine, and it started with like three rotors, which was very basic. So you had kind of like a, if you've ever seen the movie Doctor Strangelove, you have the prefix code POE, purity of essence, <laughs> and then everything you know is based <laughs> off of that. So then when you t- use this typewriter, then it transposes to these different characters, and then you you transmit those transposed characters. Mm-hmm. Well, and and the rotors move at different speeds, so as you as as you hit a button, one rotor moves a bit, and the other rotor moves right. a couple, and the other motor moves a few. So yeah, it, it spindles out into this code. Right. So it's it's not it's not a totally random code, but it's it's random considering the period of time mm-hmm. and and how many iterations you could have. Yeah, of, yeah. how many hundreds of combinations that you yeah. could have. Yeah. So. Uh, the Luftwaffe, the, one of the big breakthroughs came was with the Luftwaffe in the Battle of Britain. Apparently, there was this one Enigma Code operator who kept using his girlfriend's initials and never changed it. <laughs> so they could figure all this shit out. Right. Like he was just sending it, you know, in, in German. And uh, but but one of the big codes that he broke was the naval code, and they used an, like I think five or more rotors. Mm-hmm. So it was it was extremely complicated. And Turing himself actually said he wanted to work on it. It was like his pet project. It was his pet project. And and when you think about it, it's kind of funny because he said no one else was working on it, so he could be kind of left alone just to kind of work on it. But when you consider it's like an island nation and it's being kind of strangled by the U-boats, you kind of think, well, maybe... Well, we should explain that. Well, they had all these munitions and oil and all these things were being shipped to England for the war effort. And, yeah, the U-boats were destroying all those things. So they needed to stop this. The wolf packs were were just making a sweep of, Mm -hmm. of, yeah, I mean, they just put down... You know, hundreds of thousands of times right. every month. You know, there was a lot of user error that helped helped the Britons yes. know, win this. So one of the other things that the Nazis did, which was kind of hilarious, is they would they would do the same message. So weather for tonight, and then they give the weather. And so then the next day would be weather for tonight, and then they give the weather. Weather for tonight. So they could take that code and, and punch it in every time and use that as a they, – they call these uh, cribs. So – um, you could know based on how the rotors were moving that if a letter appears at a certain point in time, the way they're wired from the rotors to the letters, 
uh, you cannot in certain sequences have a certain letter appear. Right. So the letter itself cannot appear like as the rotors turn, maybe the letter seven. It can't be A mm -hmm. because if it starts in this position, when it gets to the seventh character, A is not an option. So right. if A is an option, then they know that it has to be B or something else like that. So you can mm -hmm. take these and crib them out and figure out that this looks like the phrase weather for tonight so then they had these operators who right. got in these rotes like you're saying with the girlfriend's initials where mm -hmm. they did things exactly the same way each time and it was like you're ruining the code you're ruining right. the whole purpose of having <laughs> code by right. giving the freebie and and there were other times where the rotor wouldn't get properly set and they would send the code twice or they'd send the message once and go oh right. oh i need to send that again then they'd send the message again mm -hmm. and it would create like a duplicate of what the rotors are for that day you know and how they're lined up and they could map those out and figure out the Well, this kind of goes on today, you know, where people are like, well, my password is password. Right. <laughs> no, that's exactly it's what I'm exactly saying about that, about or, that or, Luftwaffe operator. It's like, yeah. oh, really? It's your, like, okay, this, this one person called me up and I, and I had to test something out and they said, um, well, I said, can you, can you tell me your password? And she goes, yes, it's shoes, shoes. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's like, is there any capitals or anything? No, it's just shoes, shoes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me think of the um that Mitchell and Webb look. Do you ever wonder if we're, you know, the baddies? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've got skulls on our hats. And <laughs> maybe we're the baddies. <laughs> it's just the, the, the humanizing of the Nazis. Oh, God, and the they, they did these horrible, stupid things that eventually led to their demise, to tell you the truth. I mean, oh, yeah. if it weren't for these kind of errors or mistakes or, you know, accidentally skipping, there's all kinds of examples of these kind of errors well, that help them along. I think the thing that, that's very little understood about the Nazis or about the German war effort in general is that even though they were incredibly organized, very well trained, had state-of-the-art weaponry, because of the way the Nazi government was set up, where they were essentially like turning one against the other, you know, so more or less like power was it was never, you know, like someone would never become more powerful than the Fuhrer or whatever. So you so you had, you know, Himmler, you know, battling, you know, the Abwehr and, you know, the Gestapo trying to gain control of, you know, so I mean, mm -hmm. everything. And you and you had that in the armament industries, too. So, so you know, like, you know, if Willie Messerschmitt came up with something, then one of the other arms manufacturers was going to try to outdo him and. They might pick one, but that was actually the wrong one to pick. And so that like they never really developed the four engine long range bomber and and things like that. So so they they actually went pretty far based on the fact that they were actually pretty disorganized well, in a lot of ways. What's also funny about it is the fact that the um the the Enigma machine itself looks impressive. It looks like an yes. amazing piece of machinery. Yes, it does. So there was this confidence and this infallibility that mm -hmm. you know the english are never going to figure this out right. look at this thing look what it does yeah do whatever yeah. you want yeah. you know and and so and they use it for a long time right so that confidence yeah. and the thing was with england is that you know the, the german navy i mean you you had exceptions mm -hmm. like you certainly had like the bismarck and the turpits and everything you know that you know those battleships were massive I mean, they would have had the kind of displacement that an aircraft carrier would have today. So they were huge, mm -hmm. huge boats, you know, capable of very, you know, just huge destructive power. And and a lot of Britain's ships at that time were, you know, kind of World War One retreads and maybe not necessarily always the best. And I mean, that was, you know, the, the Hood was their flagship and, you know, the Bismarck like cut that in half. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And with U-boats, I mean, with, with, with submarines, you, you can either go with the lone gunman theory or you can use the wolf pack. Now, the lone gunmen are pretty hard to, you know, guard against because they're just out there. You can't see them. It's night, yeah. and you just you launch your torpedoes, and you're done. But with wolf packs, you can take down a major section of a convoy or just you know have utter confusion because you have coordinated attacks. Mm-hmm. So the Enigma Code, especially the Naval Enigma Code, became incredibly important because you knew up front, oh, they know about this convoy. They're, these elements are moving in position, and this is where they're going to be attacking from. So you could get the destroyers out there earlier, Right. And in, in position. And I think we've mm-hmm. talked about this a little bit in previous podcasts, too. But the British would have to be very, very careful. And this is why Bletchley Park became so important, is they would have to make sure that there was some excuse. Like they would make sure a plane – so they would crack the code. They'd figure out where the U-boats were or whatever, and they would find an excuse to send a plane over that area. So they'd have a reason – a to sc- find them. A scout plane that just, oh, happened to see yeah. him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This plane's <laughs> off. So, yeah, so they were good at covering it up. Yeah, so yeah. the yeah. idea was let the Nazis continue to think that there's no way we could possibly crack their enigmas while mm-hmm. cracking their enigmas and sending these things out to, to catch them. No, what's interesting is is that, that you know Churchill obviously knew early on that he had, in fact, he always referred to Bletchley Park as the goose that lays the golden eggs. Mm-hmm. And there are, you know, recorded instances where he knew that a particular town was going to be just utterly right. bombed into right. dust. But if he did anything like moved anti-aircraft right. or moved fighters into position, they'd know that the code had been compromised. So he had to constantly play mm-hmm. this this kind of razor game. So one of the, one of the interesting things, though, was how the uh, Enigma information was uh, sent out to the Allies. So the British shared nothing of Bletchley Park with the Americans until after Pearl Harbor. Then they then they freely shared all that information. Right. Now, not with the Russians, but with the Russians. <laughs> this is cool. They did dick. No, no, they did. They created a spy ring. They created a spy ring. So it was kind of like a reverse red orchestra. Right, right. So right. so it wasn't like they were really giving them it wasn't like what the Americans were saying, right. Hey Joe, guess what? These fuckers are moving a whole lot of tanks and they're gonna be doing this. No. It was more or less like I'm going to leave this folder on the table and I'm going to walk out of the room. Right. And, and, <laughs> and the information they were giving and the way they gave it to them made it look like there were men inside or traitors within <laughs> the Nazi party that were giving them information right. from the inside so that no uh-huh. one would become suspicious. So that if the Russians spilled their beans somehow to the Nazis, right. it wouldn't spill the enigma to the Nazis. It would just say it would make the Nazis paranoid about traitors in their midst. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which probably right. would have led Hitler to just kill off so, a bunch of his confidants. Right, right. You know, yeah. so it was kind of a weird Amazingly sort of strange. Like yeah. pre-Soviet disinformation yep. except used by the British. Right. I yeah. think the British were on top of this from the they, they really were. Fantastic. I mean, that's when I think MI6 was really something to be feared. <laughs> right, right. Oh, by the way, yeah. I want to say that uh, I just as a sidebar, since we're kind of along this line, I've I've always been, you know... A real horror for John le Carre novels, and uh-huh. you know there's been movies they've tried to make of them anyways uh the Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy with uh Gary Oldman is yeah. out on d v d and yeah he talked about it, and yes, he, I knew he finally right. saw it. I and because I had read the book and then so okay. I, I finally saw the movie and I okay. just adored it. I cool. thought they really did a great job. Yeah, of that. I'm glad you brought that up because uh I, I I was just thinking about how part of that movie in the plot is um. Uh, 
couple of the characters kind of have a sort of a homosexual history. Right. And, and I'm wondering if any of that was influenced by the, the uh, Alan Turing's you know, history. It could have very well have been because uh, within he, the spy community, it's. I don't think it was so much that homosexuality. This is like how J. Edgar Hoover, who was a homosexual himself, used it as a mm-hmm. political weapon. Was it wasn't so much that they they disapproved of it or anything like that, but you were seen as somebody who could be compromised in order right. to try to keep the secret. And, yeah, and, and because the, everybody wanted to stay in the closet back then. Right, right. Yeah. And here's Alan Turing, the head of... And he's not the head. There were actual heads at Bletchley Park. But right. the head of Hut 8 at Bletchley Park. Which, and Hut the 8 charge was of everything. the brain yeah. tank. Yeah. Yeah. This, this guy had every secret that you could have that the Nazis would want, and mm-hmm. he didn't spill his beans ever. No. You know? That's just ridiculously homophobic, this idea. Well, that... the British have always had a very odd, um, I mean. Well, you know, hey, Americans as well. I mean. Oh, no, no. I, and I'm not, I'm not trying. I'm not. I, I think it's just simply because uh, English culture is so much older. Uh, the, the, there's this long, much longer history of like, well, you know, like, oh, I I don't I think homosexuality wasn't looked down upon until more or less like the Victorian period. Then I I, I mean I, I think I think the law that Turing was uh, prosecuted under wasn't that about 1888. The yes, law came in. Effect. It was also the same one they used against Oscar Wilde. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I mean they 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 persecuted a lot. I know we're jumping ahead here, but. Uh, they they persecuted a lot of of their really great people right. using this very medieval law, which was weird because in the Middle Ages they didn't have that. <laughs> you yeah, know, it was sort of one well. What I, I are... find, you know, as if I dig back to my roots as kind of a, a hick that grew up in northern Wisconsin, uh, you know, you can't think of a culture that's more gay <laughs> than the British. I mean, <laughs> you nice. know, that's the way they talk and the. <laughs> And I think you're right about that. There's an American view that if you're if you're gay, there's no better place to be than English boarding school. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because they're you know, all pretty much gay. We always have to have they always have to have tea and everything. <laughs> I, you know, I, it, it's I realize this is just a, a odd stereotype I'm bringing no, but, up. No, and, it's interesting to bring up because but, it is an American stereotype. Like you, you always yeah. think of the British Navy. It's it's a uh, uh, rum, cruel discipline, and of course buggery on the high seas. <laughs> So, I it's yeah it's 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 a cultural thing, but uh, it, honey, it, it, honey badger it, don't give a shit. It, <laughs> from, from 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 the American perspective, it, it it it's it's harder for the British to actually look masculine to us. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I hey, yeah. are you saying John Oliver is not masculine? <laughs> that is a no. Man's I would never man. say this to say like yeah. an SAS man or something. So yeah, there are some very butch Englishmen. Yeah, but, yeah, I, yeah. But but I, but I know what you say. I don't really believe this, but I'm just I'm just saying there is well, that kind of thing. I mean, part you of know? it I think is our exposure to Monty Python, where they'd always have yeah. the judges, and then it was like, oh, did you see what was going on? <laughs> That's we true. Are the nuts who say right? <laughs> and for those of you around the world, you have to realize that the, the training that a Wisconsinite gets in a British culture comes almost exclusively from Monty Python. Oh, right. I would yeah, say 100%. That, that's, that's pretty much all. all yeah, we only, like, we all, like, maybe the two only Monty's, some faulty towers, but yeah, you, yeah. you get where we're going. He right. has a wife, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to let you. But us. 
I will not have my friends made fun of by the common sojui. <laughs> what is your name? Jew. <laughs> Brian. 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 No, Brian. Swap him woofly, Centurion. Throw him woofly to the ground. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean. Oh, my God. As I you can see, the influence is huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, we Brave, don't think all Brave English people Robin. are gay. <laughs> yeah, he ran Brave. away. I did not. He ran away. He turned his tail. He pissed he himself. He pissed <laughs> I did not. Oh, my God. So, yeah. No, we don't honestly think that, but it's, right. just, yeah. it's just like, when, so obviously when you read something about this, it's like, being a homosexual in English public school, wasn't, is that, um, was that hard to keep on the down low? I, <laughs> well, yeah. I think it was when he got to Cambridge that he was able to really... Yeah, meet other people and realize that oh, there are other gay people, and I can be myself, and I can be respected as a mathematician. Yeah. And you know, he did a lot of great writing at the time, and I think he really fell into a form of respect. And people right. just didn't care about that there. Well, I think it's interesting to note that in one of his records, much like Madison, yes, you know, you're you're an insulated uh, group of people who are with you in some ways. Well, that's that's kind of what I was talking before about the you know the, the you know the the great left circle jerk. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what, you know honestly in the end that's what I'm more tired of than than anything. Well, I'll just start disagreeing with you much more. I just I just <laughs> I'm tired. I don't I don't blame the right for becoming bigger goose steppers. Mm-hmm. That's just in their nature. You know, a mule is going to kick you. That's just the way it is. But the left is just so disappointing to me increasingly as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And I'm tired of doing Okay, one thing I have to say is we all worked in in a particular state area where everybody was hired by one guy and they all were members of the SDS back in the sixties. And it got to a point where they didn't really need to communicate by vocal means anymore. They could just nod or, you know, whatever, because they all (laughs) thought the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's what I, I find. SDS, them, you better define. Uh, student Students for Democratic Society. It was one of those little anti-war groups. Sixties thing, yeah. yeah. 60s okay. <laughs> yes, our esteemed mayor Paul Soglin mm-hmm. was a member mm-hmm. of SDS. In yeah. Any case, um, that's what I find the most disappointing throughout this entire thing. And I'm not trying to return to our former topic, but I, I, I guess I'm trying to clarify uh-huh. some of my bile from before. Is that <laughs> there was a lot of bile. There was a lot of bile, but it's just that I I find myself further and further distanced from the left. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm going to become a libertarian or I'm over on Paul, you know, yeah, over <laughs> on Paul. Paul, or you know, become an you know one of the new anarchists or whatever. No, it's it's just that. You know the, the the placards and the bumper stickers and the and the T-shirts. Yeah, well, it just it just it just be it's so disappointing because it's like voting. It's it's such a repetitive, useless activity, and I find that I have less and less to talk about politically to either people I agree with or even people I disagree with. You know that I I I just not that I'm I'm tired of politics or I would eschew them completely. It's just that I I feel like I'm kind of a man without a country right now. 
Oh, I felt like that for a number you know, of years that, now. That I just, well, yes. I mean, not just now, I'm saying, but that I don't, the party, there's no party that represents me. There's no group of people that truly represents me. Um, emailing and tweeting and blogging just seems like one big electronic jerk off. <laughs> so, yeah. You know what well, I mean? I, 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 just, I think there's a lot of people that obviously are really disappointed what happened. And well, I'm not just talking about now, Tor. I mean, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, going back in time, I, I guess what will be interesting, though, is to see how the movement changes, whether it just goes away. Well, is there a movement? Or, That's, I guess, my, is really my question. Is yeah. there a movement? Well, there, I don't know that there is one. I think there was. Uh, no, I, I think there was a movement. Uh, there, there was a lot of people that wanted to get get rid of Walker. I mean, when you have over a million, million people sign a, a recall petition, it, it granted it was a little bit of jumping on the bandwagon, but... But it produced no results. But they all voted. It's just that... They voted. More people it, it voted wasn't for enough. the other guy. Yeah. So, so right. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I was, I'm just talking it's about not, my own political disenfranchisement. That's all right. I'm saying, is that I'm, I'm disgusted because I... I don't feel like I have anything to lock into. Welcome you know? to hell. Here's your accordion. Here's your accordion. Right. There you go. It, it, it's very frustrating for me because I can see how we could have uh, a, a better country going and, and how we could uh, invigorate the economy and, uh, how, how, and we could do it with having better environmental controls. What are you running for, mayor? And, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Health care. <laughs> I don't have 30 million bucks to spend uh, okay. on it. Well, that's yeah. the issue, you know? Well, then I don't know well, what you're talking about. It's yeah. like, okay, well, you're talking before, Victor, <laughs> about from... you know, tech talk and everything, how uh, people yeah. like technology. It's like, okay, look at it this way, people. You've got the Windows kernel. You've got the Linux kernel. The Windows kernel is bad because everything is bound into it. So you have to keep rebooting the fucker all the time just to get something changed. Linux kernel, good, because all those other services and applications are separate from it. So it's stable. It works for a very long period of time without a Mm -hmm. whole lot of overhead. So I'm favoring that second kernel more than the first kernel, which is, I really think, what American culture, society, politics has become, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, as we talked about with Mm -hmm. Ike in 1960s, farewell address, beware of the military industrial complex. Well, now that has become so tightly bound Mm -hmm. that there's no separating it. So so to say that your vote means something, to say that your political action, Mm nonviolent, is doing anything... I have to question that. I just honestly have to question that. Um, you can sit and 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 occupy whatever you want. You can protest as much as you want. You can sign as many petitions as you want, and they are totally free to disregard them because they don't care. They have the money. They have the guns. They have the power, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that's and so, where does that leave you? Two th- it leaves you exactly fucking nowhere. Yeah. Two things. Happy IPv6 day. <laughs> wow nice one <laughs> uh no what is that today yeah 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 it rolled really? out over midnight i guess like Ooh, i noticed it too i was like uh, something feels tingly ipv6 is a <laughs> bitch <laughs> no i mean i i got four i get four You're right six i don't get six <laughs> <laughs> the other thing i needed to mention one of my favorite conservatives died 
Ray Bradbury. Oh yes, yes. So I, we should we should at least mark his passing. Yes, mm-hmm. I I did enjoy a lot of Ray Ray Bradbury's stories actually. Oh my God, I love loved his stories, and I was thinking back mm-hmm. of the greatest like movie adaptations of Ray Bradbury. Okay, wonderful author. I think he probably made it on our top five novels list at some point. Yeah, Fahrenheit four fifty one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was he was really pissed at Michael Moore for Fahrenheit nine eleven and really right. wanted him not to do that. Right. Um, and it wasn't because of politics. He just felt like it wasn't a good misappropriation. But but Michael Moore couldn't get the pressing of the you know, all the press releases were done by that point, so he couldn't stop it from happening. So like he had to call two weeks before he had to call Bradbury and say. Yeah, I'm really sorry. I just can't stop this. It's it is Fahrenheit 911. It's just gotta right. be that. It's just done, and, and there we are. And, and they were trying to negotiate money, and Bradbury's like, I don't want any of your money for that. I you know can't do that. Another funny thing about him is he's a really good friend of Ray Harryhausen. Oh yes, yes, they they were actually <laughs> lifelong friends. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. love they and and it's it's kind of I can't picture those two guys hanging out together. I can in a weird way because I mean you know a science fiction author. Being friends with somebody who can make those visions kind of appear, mm-hmm. I think is, you know, it's a pretty special relation. But uh, say, unlike Arthur C. Clarke and uh, Stanley Kubrick. Unlike those. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, those two, it's like, I, I, can you, would you have loved to have been a fly on the wall with? It's <laughs> yeah. like, well, exactly. see, what I'm trying to do here is, is you know, talk about the future of consciousness and evolution and everything. It's like, yeah, but can we put a big baby in there somehow? <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> and, and I kept thinking about Mad Men because I'm about, I'm almost halfway through season two of Mad Men. Oh. I actually love Mad Men. And please, no spoilers. Don't tell me anything because I'm no, really no. enjoying watching this show. I love, I love uh, Cooper, the guy who's yeah. always trying to push Anne Rand on everybody. And Ray Harryhausen and, um, and uh, Bradbury were big Anne Rand fans. Yeah. Which is hilarious to me. <laughs> It is. I think. I think Anne Rand is one of those like that old school conservative. Yeah, because I think you you have to make that distinction. It's like cons- there were there was a type of conservative that wasn't so repellent. Right. You can picture them in the sixties. You should really read this Anne Rand. She's, yeah. Yeah. She's got something. So I mean, they were yeah. they were more or less building off of well, you know, here's the American dream. I mean, we could just take it a little bit farther or something. Be fiscally conservative and you know whatever. But then it just got like distorted. To the point now where you, you just have these screaming masses of brown shirts that just keep going on right. and on about. Well, so, I, so I, I think it kind of started with uh, the Heritage Foundation, which was established in the early seventies by the Koch brothers. Uh, um, I don't know if they were. I don't think the original. Go back to our uh, think tank. Uh, originally funded we... funded the Heritage Foundation, but no, they, they, but they were big. They, they, yeah, no, they they pretty okay. much. Okay, were... well, I. There's some other guys that maybe were right no, at the beginning. Yeah, right. But then the Coke a little later. and uh, But the Heritage Foundation was started as a conservative reaction to the liberal politics of Richard Nixon. Right. Yeah. So, right. I, you know, that's where it started to like Nixonian conservatives or even yeah. George W. Bush won. Yeah. Was H.W. Bush one, I should say, is, um, you know, I mean, he called Reagan's economics, you know, voodoo economics mm. because he didn't agree with, you know, the new conservatism either. Right. So there, there is a difference. And but the difference is, is that the Republicans, no matter how much they might differ from the extreme right, 
seem to be able to sublimate all that and just like, okay, let's go along with the machine. And Yeah. Well, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of mainstream Republicans left. I think they're, they're pretty much the extreme right now. Well, or or feel that they have to move to the extreme right, like our own yeah. uh, former governor Tommy Thompson, yeah, uh, who, who's now yeah. for the right. train, who's now against the train because right. it's not because now politically he's going yeah, yeah, you can flip flop if you're Republican. Yeah. Oh, you can always go more extreme. <laughs> yeah. You, you yeah. can always go more extreme, but you can't be extreme and then go. You know, gosh, I think universal health care is kind of a good idea. So I've never <laughs> yeah. thought of it. Do you think Don Draper is like a modern John Galt? Like, do you think there? Do you think there's an inference there that they're trying to make to an Anne Randian universe, and this is a character floundering? I've watched farther. I'm going to read that in to the Mad Men um, <laughs> series, so mm. I'm going to say no. La 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 la. <laughs> Can't hear you. All right. Well, let's get back to the man of the man of the actual hour. Yeah, Alan oh, Turing. J- just to tie it back to to fight Alan Turing fighting the Nazis, and and we're on our little political bent. Uh, just recently, uh, R- Romney attended a gathering. At, I think it was a fundraiser gathering at the at the home of uh, anyway, some rich guy that had a collection of Nazi stuff, including a signed comp- oh, yeah. copy of Mein Kampf. Wow! Yeah. Not just Nazi stuff, like Hitler paintings. Hitler like paintings. paintings. Yeah, by yeah. Hitler. Yeah, Hitler like stuff. Party kind right. of shit. <laughs> but yeah. you know, a, yeah. a part of me says, if you got a ton of money and you want to get a painting painted by Hitler. That's crazy. And I wouldn't yeah. mind yeah. having a, a look, Hitler painted that. <laughs> That'd be the weirdest thing you could ever say to a house guest. Hey, check yeah. out that painting. Yeah. You know who did that? Uh-huh. <laughs> Hitler. <laughs> you know, it's an original. That'd be the freakiest thing ever. You know, it's funny, yeah. especially if they were on drugs of some kind. Hey, look at my painting. That's Hitler. <laughs> there was it's funny you should mention that because there there you know, there there are always these sort of weird obsessions and curiosities that you always kinda of wish if if I had the money, I would probably <laughs> if do I had that. the money. There used to be a store in downtown Madison that, that had a lot of interesting kind of offbeat things. And there was this little tiny oil painting that was up high in the wall. And there was a tag by it and it said, um, you know, for sale four thousand dollars. <laughs> and I, so I asked the owner. What I said, store was that? Um, it was called um, Black Cat. Okay, I don't remember that. And, okay, and it was uh, it was actually just on the other side of. Is that down um, the second floor somewhere? Of a no, no, it was on the first floor. Okay. We, I think we had been in there. Both okay. of us had been in there a couple of times. But in, in right. any case, yeah, they had this picture up there. So I asked the owner. I said, well, you know, what is $4, that, $4, and why is it worth four thousand dollars? She said it was an oil painting done by John Wayne Gacy, and it was a little oil <laughs> oh, painting oh, of a clown oh, holding a flower. Oh, and my. I thought. Oh yeah, if I had four grand, I'd probably buy that. And I'm, yeah, yeah I'm not. I don't feel good yeah. about it, but I would. And... I'd go in my room of evil paintings. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I would have an evil painting evil room. Painting. I, mean, I know I would. I mean, that's a, that's a place where you send the cats when they're being bad. I mean, that's right. You just sit in there and you think about what you, you hang did. out with Hitler and John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah I agree. If you had the money, you'd probably be doing some stupid shit. I would do some stupid shit. I'm sure. <laughs> I also wanted to point out from Ray Bad- Bradbury that I forgot to say my favorite movie adaptation of his. Yeah. 
something wicked this way comes. Oh, sure. That was the creepiest. Hmm. I that think was it, a I think it was movie. actually a Disney film. Creepiest movie. <laughs> I Very we, creepy. Great Halloween movie. Victor, I think we established pretty early on that Disney and Creepy have been in the same zip code for a lot of years. I know. I yeah, know. you wouldn't think Hard it firsthand, but yeah. Akuna Matata means creepy. <laughs> oh, I, I was going to mention, too, one of the movies I, I should have mentioned earlier on that I saw was the latest, uh, latest uh, Studio Ghibli. Mm-hmm. Movie oh, about the borrowers. The borrowers uh, adaptation. Yes, it was. It's, oh my god! Beautiful. It's so good. It's just. Have you seen? Yeah. It? Yep. Spot on. Beautiful. I, oh, I don't I think we it. really mentioned it in the podcast though. Uh, but yeah, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arietti. Oh, yeah, yeah, Arietti. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it was just the animation is just first rate. And I was very sad to see you know that Disney is distributing it. And I, I'm not. Um, we we often get in this discussion. Disney does a really good job through its Pixar unit of doing good vocal work on their adaptations. I know someone emailed me that I'm completely wrong about this. You, sir, I hear what you're saying, but yeah, you're wrong. You're the wrong person. But don't you feel that, <laughs> that Disney is what we used to call a bunch of cocksuckers? Yes, yes. Okay. Right, I understand. It, it's just that the, when you get good vocal work, and the Pixar unit, I especially love, obviously, um, but but they do good. Uh, they don't do really crappy, bad dub work. The dub work, I think, is quality. No, but I, but the thing about Studio Ghibli is, is that when you look at the credits at the end, I mean, you know, with, with Pixar, you're talking about you know huge amounts of computer animation. animation Whereas at the end of this movie, you just there are armies of animation. animators because they're just doing these hand painted mm. cells, and I mean it's just and it shows yeah. it's and they're not gorgeous. It in either, yeah, yeah, it's gorgeous, and mm-hmm. it's a great right. story too. All Disney really does is the distribution and they do the dubbing into English. And like I've said, anyone who wants to watch a subtitled Studio Ghibli film, even Hayao Miyazaki himself has said on record. Watch it in your own original language. Watch the dub version because every animated film is dubbed. So I totally understand people who like to watch movies in the original language because sure. it was dubbed precisely for that original language. I'm cool with that. You, you can do that. Yeah. But if you have the opportunity to and watch it. And when it's it, live action, we we recommend that. Yeah, I recommend that for live action. Yeah. But, but if we're really into Studio Ghibli, you'll watch it both ways. Mm-hmm. Cool. If you have kids or if you just want to watch a Studio Ghibli, watch it dubbed in, in English because you're speaking English or dubbed into whatever language you're watching. It. Have you ever seen the movie? It's it's a Korean film, uh, fairly recent, The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. No, I want to, though. Oh, my God. It's so good. There's a couple Korean films I'm waiting to see. Uh, the, the, I think uh, some of the really good films that I've seen lately have come out of Korea. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially action films or horror films. I assume you're, this is North Korea, right? <laughs> yes, North Korea. Yes, all horror films from North Korea. <laughs> yeah. I've got to tell. I, I've, oh, I've got Southern. To, so it was the, the good, the bad, and the weird. Is is like this great reboot yet homage to Sergio Leone. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I mean just just it, they just capture it. It's cool. really good. But I mean, you can see the you know the dubbing is. <laughs> Not great, mm-hmm. but what's interesting in there is that you have like Korean and Japanese characters, and they can't really understand one another. So, but then the dubbing's all in English, so there's like a lot oh. of times where you just have this like tiny line of dialogue, but they're like still talking. And, Layers, <laughs> yeah, it's oh. it's pretty good. But I'll check it out. Um, I I think you'd you'd get a big kick out of it. <laughs> um, thing I was going to say is about Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. So Memorial Day is in in America, you know, where we um, 
you know, basically grill out for the troops and watch a lot of classic war movies. So this Green year, Beret. Green, Green Beret, Beret was on like, like four or five times. Hell yeah. You know, and... Um, but I think they were kind of phoning it in because essentially what I always like to see is like when you have the littler known films that are kind of more interesting and and so forth. Instead, they just had all the ones that are like four hours plus, you know, like The Great Escape, uh, you know, um, Bridge Over the River Kwai and, and, and so on. So I was kind Kelly of disgusted. Hero. So I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find my own, you know, Memorial Day. So I found a horror movie called Uncle Sam. He Wants You Dead. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this great film because it it's this very it, okay number one one of the characters is isaac hayes is it a slasher flick or something oh wow well yeah <laughs> so it's like the first iraq war and this guy is horribly burned and dead but not quite dead and he's got a nephew that just really adores him and he's like really military and really conservative and everything but he's just like a little kid and everyone keeps telling him, it's like, you know, your uncle was really kind of a sick fuck and, and we were all afraid of him. And this is like his sister, you know, her, the kid's aunt. And and um, anyways, you, you he goes he goes back to his hometown and he kills this guy and takes his Uncle Sam costume because he's all horribly burned and has these like blaze yellow eyes. So he's just like dressed as Uncle Sam and he just keeps like killing people who are, you know, like disfiguring um um, you know, veterans tombstones and stuff like that. So it has this like weird tone to it, but it's <laughs> okay. all very anti-war because you're saying, no, some people are just like really like to kill. And <laughs> yeah, weird. it was so I'm saying uncle Sam, two thumbs. Way up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. On, on what sounds like a slightly normal note, a more normal note. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. The, the wife and I watched uh slaughterhouse five. Slaughterhouse Vince. <laughs> That is so, a great movie. It is. Yeah. And, and an even better book. You know? Yeah. Actually, yeah. I, that's one of those where I think the book and the movie are, are pretty dead They're on. They're good it. companions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Breakfast of Champions yeah. was a good movie adaptation, too. But hey, mm. listen to our Kurt Vonnegut Jr. episode. That's right. Mm-hmm. I miss Kurt. Listen to that. I miss Kurt. I miss Hunter. Mm-hmm. I miss a lot of the people that have, have passed. I miss Donna Summer. I was listening to a lot of Donna Summer recently. <laughs> She's got some good stuff. MacArthur Park. You know, I love that one. Hey, we lost MCA too. So, Missy yeah. boy, that's true. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, th- I've I did not read one good obituary about him. Yeah, and I think the B- the Beastie Boys are one of my favorite bands. I mean, I I love them. Oh I mean, yeah, like Paul's Boutique. Um, you I, know, I pulled out the VHS for the License to Ill. Oh, I have, to I have the tour VHS. I still have a, <sighs> a video cassette player in the house. I mean, <laughs> so I can watch some of that again. I mean, sabotage all those. I mean, those are those are just you know, mm-hmm. it's good music. They're great videos, and uh, he was a very interesting person. Oh yeah, very very involved. And, and you know, died far too young. And I don't. All the obituaries I read of him were kind of like, oh, and they did this, and um, uh, fight for your right to party, and then he became a Buddhist, and now he's dead. You know, it's like, really? This is all you could pull up? Okay, fine. All right. Moving on. Guys are wonderful musicologists, really. I mean, that's what they did. They really dug into. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Anyway, we got to talk about Alan Turing. We got to. Yeah, I'm sorry. We got to wrap this bitch. Yeah. It's going to take a while. Let's talk about Alan Turing and the Turing machine, which is 
I would say arguably one of the first real computers, programmable computers. Yeah, the well, yeah. and this this is where it gets really dicey because the the ace that he was working on the analytical computing mm-hmm. machine. I mean, there were other people working on this as well, and this is where he had didn't he'd done some papers talking about the theoretical. Yeah, well, he made the first. Uh, <clears throat> it was a what he called a paper computer, but it's the first a uh, paper computer chess program. Right. So he wrote a an algorithm, which is a, basically just a set of procedures, and uh, a, 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 that that you followed like a computer would. And and when they di- when he made the chess program, he didn't have a computer to play it on, so they did it by hand. But they followed the the procedures that a computer would have used had they actually had a computer. And uh, so they they you know played this chess match. Yeah, the computer actually lost, but. Uh, <laughs> I think then it beat another player who was not as good of a chess player. Mm-hmm. So, but it took like a half hour for every turn for the paper computer to get through it because the, you know, the human actually had to go through all the steps through oh, the logic and everything like that. I don't know if you guys were yeah. ever exposed to like Fortran programming, but that was <laughs> yes. oh my god, that was awful. <laughs> Columns matter. <laughs> Columns matter. <Yeah>. Huge. <laughs> Oh my God! You could just drive yourself insane. Uh-huh. You know, I'm the only one that knows Cobol, so I think I'm pretty safe. Yeah, Cobol <laughs> was another one. I mean, Cobol Cobol had its own little problems, but Fortran oh, would just drive you. Right. I, I got this on this email list from this company that the main thing they do is um, maintain people's Cobol systems, and they keep pointing <laughs> out funny. that Cobol is one of the still the most used languages out there in the it business is. world. Yeah, it is. Oh my yeah. god! Sometimes you go buy some of these business systems and you see the stark black and <laughs> the colored. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> You're still running one of those. Well, it's it's like yeah. the same with mainframes and yeah. you know, job controlling. It was JCL. That shit's still flying like it's 50 years later. It's amazing. You know? yeah. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like jumping 40 years into the past. Yeah. From, you know, I, here I'm Googling something. Oh, let me go back to this, you know. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> need to run a job really fast, JCL. And it's amazing how many things you can find. Nice. Yeah, but just back to Fortran. You know, if if you're at a party and you're trying to pick up some girl, here's a line that you can use. Uh, did you know that Fortran stands for Formula Translation? Wow. Yeah, I mean, she'll be like all over you as soon as you say <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you are Especially when say suave. I learned this on Tank Ride. <laughs> hey, I was listening to Tank Ride the other day, and, and, and <laughs> I was at band camp. I swear to God, if anybody gets laid because of anything we've said, oh, you know, yeah. really, honestly, yeah, don't use anything that we say on this podcast. If you hear on this podcast, say sex. something different. Yeah, it's because it's hey, not. I, hey, you know what I heard about Fortran? Oh, wait, I heard that on Tank Ride. I'm not going to say that one out yeah. loud. No, that's right. I mean, because no good will come of it. <laughs> Let me put it this way. Individually, we've all managed to, to get laid on a regular basis, but as a group together, no. We would be monks. It would never happen. No. So don't don't ever use that for those purposes. Well, I'm not Just, sure we're really into group stuff anyway, but... Well, yeah, I mean, again, well, no, no, no. Well, that's yeah, not what I meant. But I'm just saying, like, if, if we were, oh, I didn't mean that. We were all back. Your head out of the if, if we were like workaholics and we were all like, you know, doing oh the God. wingman thing. Season premiere yeah, of workaholics yeah. was awesome. <clears throat> I laughed. I cried. Yeah, that was genius. That was awesome. You, you know, I, I'm thinking. You know, yeah, back in the '80s, they weren't. You know, the, 
maybe we weren't that good back in the 80s or 70s, uh, relatively speaking, uh, compared to the jocks or whatever. But uh, I, I, th- I think the girls go for this kind of stuff now. Of course, I have no basis for that, but... <laughs> Come on, Big Bang Theory is a big show, and you know well, I don't t- know. It's I'll just, tell you, my yeah. my best, most successful pickup line in the seventies was those. I ain't real smart, but I got a big old willy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! How in the world are we going to segue back to Alan Turing now? I mean, uh, we're just screwed. That'll we probably are. always work, but I, I think we're. Kind of <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so, let's, let's get. I'm gonna have that put on my tombstone. Actually, all right. <laughs> yeah, real smart. All right, we just Weren't diverted into a topic area that maybe we're not expert in. Expert in, but uh, uh, let's back to Alan Turing. Yeah. So and, every uh, every computer is basically every modern computer is a Turing machine. It is. So a Turing machine is uh, these binary machines that make these decision making process follow mm-hmm. these logic patterns based on the inputs that they're given, and then. Yeah, pop out and I a program. Yeah, and he had he had predicted this, and he had started to work on the paper machine, and he had, he'd started some work, and and in a way, it's almost like Turing said, "I wrote about it. It does work. I started working on it. I don't need to finish it. Right? <laughs> someone else can do that, and someone did, and he got all yeah. run in a couple ways with um, like the Ace computer and other things where other people were doing other." Um, programs it was all based on what turing had written and it was all based on he'd been writing about these probability and mathematical ideas back from the 30s right. on and one of the things you can always say about alan turing is is that that while other people may have been working on it as well mm-hmm. he had no knowledge of that he was working on it completely independently and came up with these other ideas so i mean there were a couple other people that were working on these things that were basing their work on alan turing's ideas so in a way, it's almost like they, and not. I don't want to say anything like stole from him or whatever, but it's almost like they built upon his work it in was a way. A very interactive. Process. Think Tesla and Marconi. But, yeah, but then again, that <laughs> yeah. is, that that is the human uh, progress. Right, right, right. You know, we someone, were, they were all trying to figure this yeah. out. It's amazing the lulls that were taken between like the abacus and this idea of computers because. If you think about the term computer, you know, it's a calculator. It's a thing that computes things. Right. And when we say computer nowadays, it's so different. But, you know, there's the whole Ada Lovelace, you know, work. And then there was a big lull. And then well, it isn't, these it isn't guys different. picked these I mean, it's up. more advanced, but it, it is essentially the same machine. Right. Yeah. But, but now... Well, it's it's his it, in that time. It was more steampunk. It was more electromechanical. Electromechanical, whereas and, now and the mills were using them and that kind of thing. Yeah. And now it's an electronic right. basing on, I guess, the binary system, that kind of thing. Right. So, yeah. so anyway, father mm-hmm. of computers, I would say on that point. I don't really have. I don't really have yeah. much more to say about his. Yeah, his, I mean, you can go read up on him, and and there's uh, endless. You know, Endless reading. Mathematical proofs yes. he did and, and all kinds of really interesting stuff. I think what gets dicier is what he's later known for is the Turing test. Uh, and the Turing test is the idea of he, – he'd been he, – like we were talking about fascinated about the idea of what happens to the mind and what happened to – what happens to someone when they die mm-hmm. and how can a computer be a person and when is a computer a person. Right. And futurists often in science fiction talk about – uh, Turing tests are often talked about in the replication of human thought and, and right. recreating it into a, such a degree that 
that a computer can be thought to be a human. I thought this was a really weird angle for Turing to take, honestly. When you mm-hmm. think about a Turing machine, you're, there's a lot going on there. There's so many um, variables in this equation. Mm-hmm. But what he was basically saying was you have an interrogator and you have two different mm-hmm. things that the interrogator interacts with, a human and a machine. And if the answer is and, – and it can't be an expert interrogator. It has to be just a standard interrogator. So – you you can't have this expert bias, and then if the computer can give answers that are indecipherable from the human, then you've proven, you know, the ability. The Turing test is, you know, you've won the Turing test, and the computer yeah. can be seen as a human. It's just interesting because there's so many logical flaws to this. There's so many problems with this, but it's it's such an interesting experiment. But oh, it's yeah. a, it's an interesting field too. I mean, yeah. if you think about artificial intelligence, uh, you know, there's different ways well, to look at it. But if you can write a computer algorithm that can start writing its own algorithm that right. it can run, and essentially it grows on its own, I would. You, you know, there's see, interesting there, things that can happen. Therein, I think, lies the problem. Is because if you're trying to look for the beginnings of artificial intelligence or consciousness, and just to clarify, by artificial intelligence, we're we're not talking about Republicans. Right. No. Okay. Right. We're we're in the computer Non-humans. aspect here. Yeah. We're okay. talking about okay, if you if you have a machine that's powerful enough that has enough connections that could actually build on experience, be heuristic, mm-hmm. you know, learn and modify its behavior or its programming independently of manual programming. See, that's kind of like the whole historical question of when did the Dark Ages begin and when did they end? Um, they began at the fall of Rome. We're still in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so same thing with consciousness. Are we truly conscious? Conscious. Um, are we intelligent life? I don't know. So that's going to be hard to tell in a machine. Well, the other I think th- the fault is in the human. Well, it's, the fault is in the programmer. The other thing is in the, the the feedback loop that's created by this actual test because the test falls back on the interpreter. So the interrogator right. becomes the test subject because they are the failure or the winner. So right. if that person fails to recognize the machine based on their experience in the world, then they're the determinist in the situational event so it's just a very interesting you know why he went down this route was he's very curious about the ability of machines and the ability of communication and the ability of moving the ball in this direction his thought on a couple planks of this is that you know he's widely quoted as saying that it'll be 50 years before we do this and that would be around the year 2000 or so Mm -hmm. when when this was being talked about was in the Mm -hmm. 1950s so Really, he had said in another event, I, I can't remember where I heard this, but he had said, oh, yeah, I think that we could do it within 50 years, but I think it'll be 100 years before we get the computing capacity to oh, really sure. do this kind of thing. Which is true. Yeah. And that's the other thing is it represents um, yeah. a nonverbal response. So he was he was always talking about it as a machine, like a person would write down an answer and the machine would write down an answer. And mm-hmm. quite honestly, in the literal, if you think about it in the Kurzweilian futurist kind of perspective the real Turing test would be you look at this human you look at this machine and tell me which 
is the human and which is the machine. Yeah, you're looking at an well, Android. Right, you have an Android and, and you have no equipment and, and there's all kinds of, there's, there's a lot of uh, logical fallacy. There's a lot of ways that people have poked holes in the Turing test. But in the end, I don't think that's useful. I think the usefulness yeah. of the Turing test is pushing machines in a direction because it's an exciting, it's an exciting game. But it becomes yeah. two different games. It's an imitation game and it's an interpretation game because if a computer can imitate humans and there have been a few people that have won the Turing test because um, they run these – you run these games of Turing test games where you're given right. a certain time limit and then you decide if who's the human and who's the machine. Well, some of the uh-huh. machines have been programmed. It's an imitation test to do computer typos that humans would do based right. on their hands on the keyboards and what they would mistype and then what they uh-huh. would send. And then based on that, they've won the Turing test competition or whatever. And, you know, Eliza, Alice, there's some of these other programs that were used. And it's cool. It's exciting. But the fact that you can imitate human failure, you know, you yeah. have to fool yeah. a human. Because that's that's the question that's always puzzled me the most about right. this was, are you making a copy of a monkey? Are you making a better monkey? Or are you right. making you're designing a, a non monkey intelligence? Right, you're designing a non monkey intelligence to fool the monkey. Maybe we have yeah. to. <laughs> it's maybe all about we have to monkey. turn this around. Once we get computers powerful enough, we have a, a computer be the judge and see if the computer can decipher the difference between the human and the other right. computer. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like trying to do you know brain physiology and 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 you know consciousness. How do you? How do you use the same instrument to interpret itself mm-hmm. and have any kind of success with it? So again, if if you're making a copy of a monkey, are you making a better monkey or are you making something completely different but still intelligent? Yeah. Because What's... evolution could be speeded up much faster. I mean, yeah. you're talking about an enigma code. Right. But what if evolution itself is a type of code and you just move farther down that chain? But what's fascinating, yeah. what's fascinating is you watch a movie like Blade Runner with you know, the Ridley Scott film, which I mm-hmm. hope we've all seen at this point. If you haven't, I mean, just for the love of Christ. <laughs> yeah. <please>. Jesus wept. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so there's that big scene where they're interrogating a replicant. Mm-hmm. To figure out whether or not it's a replicant. And that is a Turing test. Right. They're asking him questions. They're putting him in situations to try to get him to express that the fact that he's a replicant. To yeah. realize that, that, that his memories are programmed, but finite, <laughs> he wouldn't be able to extrapolate. Right. So it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a brilliant example of one of the futurist far ends of where a Turing test yeah. could be in 100, 200 years. Well, that's interesting. You... Um... Let's see the what's the alternative at, at title for Blade Runner again? Uh, do Androids uh, Dream of Electric, electric Sheep? sheep. Yeah. yeah, Philip K. Dick. B- because you, before you even brought that up, I was going to bring up, uh, you know, maybe a computer is uh, thinking or whatever if it starts to daydream and gets distracted by shiny things, just like humans. Right. Yeah. But again, copy of a monkey. Or, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but a great deal yeah. of Alan Turing's mind and effort was placed into trying to understand consciousness. And he knew at the time that the, you were left with these paper machines or these building blocks of what became real computing technology. He saw it coming. He knew that we were capable of these kind of things. And, and he predicted 50 to 100 years we would have 
amazing computing abilities. I mean, sure. look at the iPhone or the well, Android again, that you have in your pocket, these multiple yeah. machines. And the idea was a Turing machine is kind of a universal machine because it can do anything. You just program it and it'll tell you the weather. We're getting it'll do back whatever you to the to concept do. of the singularity again. Right. You know, where you know, when when mm-hmm. that, that point will be where machine and human are right. but, more but, or less bound. But, Turing was not a futurist. Turing no, no. was not one of these gamblers that the no. much like politicians say, "Oh, in twenty years we will go to the moon." You know, because in twenty years everyone will forget that I said that. In twenty years we're right. going to go to the moon because Shoot, or, we did or it in like it. ten. Or man. worse yet, we went to the moon and then basically forgot about it. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> been there, done that. He was yeah. a real scientist who was thinking. Here's where things are going, and I think this was even before we had the whole um, laws of computing. You know. Power and processing. What, what was that law called? God, why am I blanking on we that? We actually oh. did a podcast on this too. <laughs> oh, I don't was... know. Uh, Moore's law. Moore's law. Moore's yeah. law. Thank so you. So I think this was even like before Moore's law was really established in any way at all. Oh no, no, yeah. he, he was like a true pioneer. Right. I mean, and what's what's truly sad is is that the equipment that you know they they have in the museum now that that he created is more or less just what was ever left over because mm-hmm. they just totally destroyed all this for security reasons. I don't think we even really explained the bomb either because, you know, when we talk about the Enigma machine, you, the bomb had to be, you know, 10 times bigger than an Enigma machine it was, right? yeah, because they had know, to put every wall. possible coil group that you could have and then you could run it through this giant thing. Please check it out. Look up the bomb and but look how big these uh, things were that and you that's, constructed. And uh, that's B-O-M-B-E. B-O-M-B-E. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Boom. but but I think what's interesting <laughs> is that Turing, in many ways, came up with you know like a generation ahead, better Enigma machine. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Enigma machine was it was essentially just like a fucking typewriter, you know, with some mm-hmm. rotors on it. But the machine that he built to figure out that typewriter could have built much better codes. Yeah. Picture a Cray computer. I mean, the thing yeah. is yeah. Just huge, and it's just like a Lego, you know. I actually got to see a Cray once, oh, really? and it was amazing. It looked like a piece of furniture. <laughs> I mean, but it's... Oh, you can sit on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it, it looks like this... I mean, um, if you ever saw the original Rollerball, and they they go to talk to the the machine, and it's just like all bubbles because mm. it's all liquid memory, it yeah. kind of looks like that. It's just like this weird thing that's just like, oh my god, and it has all these billions of processes. Oh, okay, Minnesota, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's Chippewa Falls. Well, I think uh, in order to truly wrap this up. We have to talk about Alan Turing's death. And before we can get to that, we have to get his uh, conviction for indecency. Because at this time mm-hmm. in the UK, homosexuality was still very much a crime. So mm-hmm. he was, um, and you know, obviously very heavily documented that he was homosexual. And he was um, arrested and... Um, well, he got in this relationship, and, and then I think it that guy ended up possibly robbing his he, apartment he was, or something yeah. like that. So, so yeah, he this is what, right after he left the ace, and he went. He took a sabbatical in like what forty nine fifty in nineteen fifty one. He um was elected as a fellow of the Royal Society. So I mean, right. he had just he kind of hit a pinnacle at that point, and this guy was trying to blackmail him. So he had decided to go to the police himself 
because he was being blackmailed right by this guy he basically turned himself in yeah and then the police um yeah used this 1800 law right yeah to arrest him and so you know he was convicted of indecency and he uh chose um more or less chemical castration where you're you know just flooded with estrogen so that you know you're essentially chemically castrated mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing that I, it makes me think about his character and about him being maybe an asperger's uh candidate in the spectrum because he he was unable to really defend himself in these kind of situations and he he didn't he didn't react well to these kind of situations, so he no. felt like he had done nothing wrong. Well, no, and yeah, and, and he, you know, which he, he didn't do anything wrong, right. except it just happened to be illegal, right? But, and, yeah, but he wasn't able to. He didn't. He didn't fight back often, no. and, and this was throughout all his life when he was ever exposed to any kind of injustice about his homosexuality. He didn't really like fight back, and I, I think that's just part of his character. And that maybe because of Asperger's or whatever, he just wasn't able to think in the terms of I should be fighting for my rights in a certain way. No. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I mean, I think he's one of these um, people that that was never conflicted about his sexuality. I think I think he was, you know, gay and realized that very early on and just said, "Okay, fine. I'm although he did think about marrying this woman. At one point, but then he called it off. That's right. It he actually didn't... proposed to her. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, but I mean, I think that was fairly common in those days because, yeah. you know, th- what I'm trying to say is, is that I, I think that he was one of those individuals that was not confused about his sexuality, though he may have tried to cover it by mm, a right. convenient marriage or right, right. something like that. Or even but... it, it may have been a woman that, uh, that he really liked as a friend, and he could see himself living with her. She'd be uh, a beard. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe they would, you know, get along as friends, and, and he right. thought maybe that would work. But right. Yeah. But, but he decided against it. The estrogen treatment didn't go well for him. No. No. And, 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 yeah. and t- Turing was one of these type of individuals, too, that, you know, he was very eccentric, um, like for instance, there's that that story about um, he would ride his bike to uh, work at Bletchley Park, and his chain, you know, oh, his, yeah. his bike was not very well maintained. <laughs> yeah, and his chain kept falling off, and instead of fixing it, he would just count the number of times he could pedal before uh, it would fall off, and he just got off and readjusted the chain, and then started pedaling again. <laughs> that seems weird. Obviously, he's not an engineer, right? Yeah. And he <laughs> like the engineer would try to figure out. Why it's jumping after uh-huh. he had you know, he had forty a, turns a coffee mug at work and and or that's tea, my tea mug or whatever story. and he just chained it to a to a steam radiator so people wouldn't steal it wouldn't steal it you know <laughs> so things like that so he was very eccentric he had a very high pitched voice um he was stocky but you know somewhat diminutive and everything so I mean it, there were a lot of things working against him I'm sure mm. and plus you know his homosexuality was very well documented by the government and so forth so. All these things came to bear. The castration, I think, you know, made him very sick, made him very depressed, and so forth. Until finally, yeah. um, he took his own life with uh, cyanide. Well, this is the weird thing, and, and he never really and I know that's disputed, suicide but... note and everything, right? Well, but why would you? Okay, how did he take his life by cyanide, Sputnik? Because this An is apple. a strange thing. 
What, a cyanide apple? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can inject things in an apple fairly easily. Yeah. Right. That's, that's or someone else could have injected holding, something. Holding an apple. Yeah. No, I, I know. I know. I, I'm I just mean, kind of making you say it. <laughs> the general consensus is that it's suicide, but... Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but, like anything, you can. There's possibly other cause. No, the reasons. the idea yeah. the idea you know. behind that is that he wouldn't want his mother to think that he'd committed suicide, right? Yeah. Because that's right. that's evil. You're gonna go to hell. Yeah, I mean, and, so and, so literally, this man had like no alternatives. Here's a guy who spent his life coming up with alternatives, who you know, breaking codes and so forth. But he was literally pushed to this point where, okay, I'm not going to prison, so I'm accepting the chemical castration. This has made my life unbearable, but I can't even take it now because I don't want my mother or anyone else to have the stigma of a suicide. Right. And his mother did believe that it was just a chemical contamination with chemicals he was working with based on some experiment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe, but... But what a crazy way to die. What a crazy way to go. It's... it's, it's, It's so interesting that he chose that. I mean, now, obviously for his mother and everything, and obviously there's huge depression and issues there. Oh, there, there ha- would have to have been. There, there is a uh, uh, kind of an underground uh, a myth that the Apple on Apple computers with you know like the bite out of it. I've heard that. Is, I've heard that is uh, based on the Apple that Alan Turing used to uh, yes, kill himself. Yes, I've heard that one too. Yeah, but uh, apparently someone asked. Steve Jobs about this, and he said, "No, that's not true. That's not why we chose the Apple. But wouldn't it be really cool if it was? <laughs> I think know, it he, would be. It's something that it actually it's, make it much cooler uh, than it is now. You know, yeah, I, I'd, I'd believe Steve Jobs as far as I could throw him. And if he yeah. was cremated, I could probably throw him pretty far. Yeah, but I'm just saying. I don't know that he was going to tell anyone the truth, really. Yeah, about well, anything. Yeah, but what unless it, it suited his business needs." Basically, what it sounds like is they probably picked Apple for other reasons, but then it, it turned out actually to kind of match Turing, but that wasn't the original reason they picked I Apple. I actually would like to formally accept that <laughs> I, as the meaning of the Apple logo. <laughs> I, I really would. I yeah, mean, I, yeah. to me, it makes a lot it, more it's sense. It's much more symbolic. Yeah. Tar yeah. penis. Yeah. Tar <laughs> penis. <laughs> I, yeah. I'll go with that. <laughs> but. There's actually a statue of him. I forget where, but they actually had an apple in his hand. It's a, yeah. yeah, I think it's yeah. in Manchester. And, and I think um, one reason they think he may have used the apple for suicide is because uh, it, he was a fan of the movie Snow, Snow White, White. Mm-hmm. Uh, which involved Disney, an apple and poison. Right. Disney, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the evil tar penis right, back. rearing his so, ugly tar head. So Disney <laughs> killed Alan Turing. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. You but, know. Yeah. <laughs> But what I think, I don't think is that'll stick. okay. He's no, I think it will. He, he, he was born <laughs> 1912, and there are a few people born in 1912 that are still alive. So if he would have stayed healthy, you know, he actually could could have been still alive today. And yeah. I think wouldn't that just be amazing what he saw, not only in the, in the development of computers, but yeah. oh my but, god, but in the. Um, acceptance of homosexuality in society you know that's a very interesting point tor because i think we've talked about this in other podcasts where is is it sadder to uh live to the point where you see everything that you believed in uh basically undone destroyed or is it 
sadder to die before you see all the things that you worked on actually come to fruition. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting. Well, yeah. in an alternate yeah. history, it might be very interesting if someone like Alan Turing would have stayed alive and active throughout the '60s, because at least the '60s, um, if not the '70s, I mean, the, he could have contributed a ton. We, you know, on many fronts, Apple and Microsoft yeah. might not have been if someone like Turing were around. We might all be use, still using interested. Turing computers. Yeah, right I now. mean, it could actually awesome. be a Turing computer. And maybe ten years ago, I could have had a, a Turing pocket computer. You know, and sure. maybe this revolution yeah. would have happened a little sooner. Who knows? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's very hard. He's to... a very, very engaged mind and uh, yeah, very amazing but, but, writer. But so little known. That's what's so truly tragic. Well, that's what's interesting about the whole Bletchley thing is. He was so unknown for the Bletchley work because it wasn't until the 1970s that anyone could say anything about what was going on yeah, at Bletchley. 20 years after no he one died. knew what he was doing. No one knew no. what all those other people were doing. Bletchley Park was a really fascinating place. I encourage everyone to read a little more about that because uh, there was active recruitment to get people into Bletchley who were good at code breaking and crossword puzzles. There were tests that they would do. There were interesting yeah. recruitment things going on to get people there. And once they were there... They were told, this is it. You can't tell anyone. It's quiet from here on out. No one right. knows. This is a little get-together college place. This is not, you know, we can't be on the radar. We can't be on the map. You can't right. tell your friends. No one can know we exist. And nobody told. I mean, yeah. it's interesting because you always think of conspiracy theory and people, you know, you can't have 10,000 people keeping a secret. But Bletchley Park was a very successful yeah. secret. This was a war effort, and these you people were not going to screw secret. up the war effort. And you can have a lot of good people keep a well, good secret. the English, you know, their back was truly against the wall in, mm-hmm. in many ways. So I think that contributed a lot to it. I mean, I, I don't think there was really any good ends right. with, with the English during the Second World War. I, I think that was something where they just, you know, made maximum effort and— I think this, yeah, you're right. This is one example where many people could keep a secret for many, many years. And I would say when he was working at at Bletchley, he would he would run sometimes forty miles to meetings that he'd have to go to. Yeah. You know, when he wasn't biking, the guy was a marathon runner all his life, and even up till the 1950s, he was running marathons and yeah. doing things like That's that. I mean, the guy was an amazing athlete as well as uh, an amazing mind. So. You know, kind of based on that, you know, Tor, I just I wanted to to go back to Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy just for one yeah. moment. There was a, a scene where George Smiley is talking to one of his uh, older associates in, uh, you know, MI6, and and he's talking to uh, this woman, and she was she was being very nostalgic about all you know these people and all the things that they had done and everything, and she's those were great times, and Smiley just looked at her and said, "It was the war." You know, but there was this, like, nostalgia for, like, yeah, remember when we were all, like, completely didn't know if we were going to live or die and what was going to happen, but... It, it, it brings uh, it brings people closer together in yeah. a way. Yeah. And, but he was just looking yeah. at her like, no, it was really awful. It was the, yeah. <laughs> he was, like, horrified, but, you know, in his own quiet way. That's that's one of the things I, I, I always loved about John le Carre's, uh creation of the George Smiley character is, like, he's such an anti-Bond. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he killed like one person in his entire life and, and he and he was still troubled through it, you know, mm-hmm. about it for his whole life. But but he was one of these people that was so quiet and so studied and just watched everything. He was like a true spy master in every way. And and that's, again, you know, bringing it around to Bletchley Park. It was probably one of the biggest secrets mm-hmm. 
Oh, and yeah. it's but it's kind of sad because so so many of the things that came out of this were huge and and one of the great tragedies is that like i say whatever is in a museum now from that period of time is just whatever crap they were able to save but most of it was just completely destroyed and dismembered and and uh i i, I just wanted to read uh, the epitaph that was on alan turing's tombstone Hyperboloids of wondrous light rolling for eye through space and time harbor those waves which somehow might play out God's holy pantomime. I mean, that's that's a good one. That is truly yeah. a good one. But I, is that on the Watchmen? <laughs> it should be if it I, isn't. I can see it like, you know, the Elvis Costello <laughs> yeah, quotes and all no that. No kidding. <laughs> Bob Dylan. Yeah. God's holy pantomime. <laughs> I mean, that, that line in and of itself is fantastic. But yeah. Well, I think you know clearly clearly had a, a tragic end to his life, and um, that that's really sad. But at least we can say that society, decades afterwards, actually has recognized him yes. as as one of the greats of the twentieth century, and he's appears on numerous lists as as great scientists or great mm-hmm. individual. There's statues of him, uh, and the uh i believe it was gordon brown the british prime minister did yes, right ap- there was a apologize big 2009 he did a formal government apology apologies for prosecuting him uh, under mm-hmm. that you know antiquated law yeah. you know too little too late but you know at least it's recognized after well, the fact i think it's really starting That's to bring true. his name yeah. up into the culture and you know being the centenary i i think People have probably heard his name before this podcast, so it's almost like we could have talked mm-hmm. about him a couple of years ago, but hey, this is a good time to talk about him right now. Yeah. I think so, too. I mean, so there's there's an enormous blue plaque uh, marking uh, Turing's home in Cheshire, uh, which I think is very good. And, and Tor already mentioned the statues. And there's also the memorial plaque in Sackville Park, Manchester, which... You know, if if you're in Manchester and you're listening to this and you're feeling all smug, Arsenal is still better. It's so, probably raining there anyway. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> mm. don't 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 feel smug about yourself. Well, speaking of soccer, isn't there a, a roadway that was like football? Ellen, yeah, football. <laughs> El, the sport, football. the only sport. <laughs> the uh, a, a roadway goes by one of the stadiums or something like that. I think those that that's named after Alan Turing now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Damn, I didn't know that. So yeah. <laughs> So um things you learn. So yes, there there is um there's a statue of Turing in uh, Sackville Park in the University of Manchester and uh, Whitworth Street and the Canal Street Gay Village. The memorial plaque depicts the father of computer science sitting on a bench at a central position in the park. The statue was unveiled on Turing's birthday, and he's holding an apple. And um, it says the motto, the founder of computer science, as it would appear, if encoded by an Enigma machine. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool, I think. And the apple has significance not only, 
you know, from his death and from Snow White, but also with uh, Isaac Newton. Absolutely. Calculus Absolutely. and all that. Yeah. It all ties in. Yeah. But like what we know about an Einstein or an Isaac Newton, Alan Turing is just so unsung and should really be recognized for, for well, I think, his full contribution. He is himself kind of an enigma. So it's very interesting. Yeah. That... Yeah. In a lot of <laughs> yeah. ways. Yeah. You're right. That's a good, very good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, there's... Uh... So throw his name around at parties, kids. Yeah, absolutely. It'll get yeah. you laid. Listen to Dor. It, it, <laughs> it possibly could. Yeah. You know, talking about Alan Turing, you really could use that, I think, in a certain way. I mean, that would be an icebreaker. Uh-huh. I was listening to Tank Riot. They're talking about Alan Turing. I don't know if you knew this or not, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's... Yeah, okay, there's avenues there. I mean, yeah. you know, come on. Use what you got. Take what we're sending you. Combine the two. Yeah. We might have to start compiling stats on this so we can provide feedback to people who need need the help. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, in any case, I think Alan Turing is is a very good way to, to end this podcast because the first part, yeah, well... Take that for what you will. Um, it's very disappointing. We'll do what we can. Um, I don't think I want to call it Scotty Nation anymore, though. I don't really want to feel warm and fuzzy about it. I think it's more or less become kind of VC territory. <laughs> well, what we need is a, a a new Alan Turing that can crack the code of the... Uh, current rise of fascism and uh hopefully right. turn the tide like That's the right. old alan turing did well, we, we should be more specific and say it's crypto fascism uh, and i think alan would appreciate that uh-huh. because it's it's not you know full-out fascism oh yes it has every political science aspect of it but mm. it's all so nicely packaged and sent out yeah. there day by day hour by hour it's uh i I did some uh, canvassing yesterday trying to help get out the vote. I thought I'd do my part. Oh, Christ, we're back to this Well, I, I, I stopped to one house. I, I suppo- I'm supposed to have a list of Democrats, and it's just to remind them to vote. And uh, But apparently one person on the list said, uh, oh, can't you tell him for Walker? I'm listening to Hannity. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm, that's like, yeah, I'm purposely indoctrinating my brain with this propaganda. Yeah. So Sean Hannity tell setting back Irish Americans. I couldn't tell because you weren't wearing the helmet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it, is, it is amazing. You won't get any extra votes that way, but you know. I, I yeah. mean. Who knows? Maybe hey, in the hey, future we're going to have to do this podcast by let, via shortwave. Let me. Let Maybe me, we'll yeah. become a number station. Yeah, right. Do you ever me, think of that? Let me say the <laughs> one thing that we haven't said yet. It is very likely, very likely that Scott Walker will be indicted in the near future. In the I don't believe John that. Doe investigation. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a fucking minute. Someone's going to be indicted. Oh come on. Why? What are they going to do? Give everybody up to well, the top of the chain of command immunity? Do Do you want me to go down a laundry list of people that have been like bald faced, ready to convict and put in prison and have just walked? I'm not saying he won't walk. I'm just saying he'll be indicted. Yeah, he's got 160 thousand in his defense fund, I, mm-hmm. but 
it, it, uh, one new thing. I'm that, saying the road is not rosy, clear, yellow brick road for him to just go do right. whatever he wants. Well, I th- he's and we the, cost him like fifty million dollars. Indictment is like a resume builder these days. I mean, <laughs> yeah. who cares? Well, Scott Walker, he's it's got some doggy doo doo on the path here that he has to watch out for. But what what just came out recently, what a lot of people don't know is. It sounds like, one, he is the target of the John Doe investigation, and two, they're not only looking at illegal activity while he was the county executive of the county of Milwaukee, but also illegal activity while he was governor. So it's just new well, stuff coming up. They've given, they've given immunity to a lot of people very high up, so I have a feeling that, yeah, I think you're right. I think the focus is him. You might be right, Sputnik as well, that he's going to walk completely, but it's not a rosy path for him. Look, I feel that expecting government to police itself mm-hmm. or the legal system to police itself is pretty much like what we were talking about in Conspiracies 10 with ancient aliens. It's like, oh, yeah, you're right. All av- other avenues of explanation are closed off, so <laughs> possibly... Somebody up top was going to make the right hey, series of decisions. I fully understand that I'm grasping. Yeah, I'm grasping at straws. My balls are moving, but I right. don't feel like it's. I don't feel like it's completely. Uh, I, I. It is wishful thinking, but I don't feel like it's completely. It would be out of the blue for this to actually happen. Let me put this in astronomical terms. <laughs> We're so far from fucked that the light from fucked won't hit us for about a hundred years. Okay, you know that's almost a that's a that's that's similar to what the, a Star Wars quote there. Oh, uh, you know we haven't had a Star Wars reference in a long time. Yeah, well, it's kind of a blast. Someone now asked Luke many what, many Bothans died bringing us this information. Yeah, no, what, when uh, <laughs> someone asked Jesus. Luke Skywalker where he is from, he said, uh, "Well, if there's a bright center of the universe." I'm from the planet that's furthest from. <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice. Nice. And with that, I said good day. Good yeah. day. Hey, so one thing I wanted to do at the end of this podcast is say, we're going to play some United Sons of Toil again. Perfect. The song is called State Sponsored Terrorism. <laughs> and I just felt it appropriate, so I'm going to play that. Um, but I did want to mention to everybody that they have a side project, and the side project band name is Tyranny is Tyranny. And I'm going to go to that show. I'm pretty damn sure. Okay. It is uh, Wednesday, June 27th at the High Noon Saloon in Madison. This is like a 5.30 happy hour show. And this band is going to be heavy, and it's going to be loud. And it's made up of two-thirds of United Sons of Toil. The Toil is back together again. They're going to play their first show in, like, July. Love these guys. You should go check them out. State-sponsored terrorism. This is John Connor. (laughs) For real this time. This is John Connor. No, I, I meant for real this time. You're you're actually John Connor now. We're, we're in the bunker. Oh my god, yeah.
I am going to bury a submarine in the yard, I think, and then go live in it. So, <laughs> you know, I, I had I had a friend growing up whose dad had a, a, a bomb shelter in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And it was one of these where it was it looked like a like a submarine hatch. Uh, we used to go down in there all the time i so want that and then you know as we got older we go down there and we just like smoke (laughs) Smoke massive amounts of dope and yeah but i don't (laughs) understand i've owned two houses now that were built in the 1950s did either one of them have bomb shelters no bomb shelters bomb shelters did not become big until uh 60 through cuban missile crisis yeah that was the golden age of home bomb shelters well yeah. dude you've got one now but you've the, got one but the houses were well i got I a cool stop recording now <laughs> i got a cool basement oh you know dude what?